I was. I waited a while to do that until we were comfortable with each other. Before I was like, I want to burp into a microphone. <laughs> Putting the belches out. There was a. Did we? We, we got a burp. We've got several burps on the podcast so far, oh, haven't yeah. we? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, burps. They're usually the like weekend. a couple. Burp. A couple minutes after you hear the. Yeah. And then. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to wait to open my beer until we started, but. I couldn't, I couldn't stop I couldn't myself. Yeah, I got, I got no. twist tops. So yeah. Sunday Scaries. Hello, Sunday Scaries. It's Travis. It's Tyler. It's Daniel. Hey, the A team, guys. We did back it. again. Don't, we haven't tell, been together in a little while. I know, don't tell man. Cameron. <laughs> don't tell Blake. <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> Sorry, Jamario. Yeah, it's uh, no, it feels good. It feels good to be back with uh, yeah, the core, the core group here. I've listened to all the episodes, even the ones I wasn't on. I was like, <laughs> I really want to know what Tyler and Travis are gonna say, or what, what we talk about when you're not here. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, what do you say about me? <laughs> yeah, yeah I basically just listen to the podcast to hear myself and things about myself. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you to talk. Although I love the episode of The Strangers, just for the record. That was a good episode. That was yeah. that's a great movie. Yeah, I, was I really watched good. the sequel and I was like oh i wish i'd, I wish I'd been there I the sequel in. came out the, the, FOMO. the new one right i yeah. have a great story about that sequel i'll tell you later yeah i lived a horror movie and it's while also watching that horror movie brian bertino too that was the funnest thing about that episode was the fact that he grew up like real close, close. to my neighborhood yeah um and i was like yeah everything about this makes so much more sense because it like it, it was just a weirdly prescient movie for like I don't know, my childhood. Um, but yeah, hey, it's Sunday Scaries. It's a podcast about horror movies uh, and things that we think are interesting to fans of horror movies. Each week, we take a deep dive into a specific film and try to find connections between that film and other movies within the genre. Um, in this series, we're talking about slashers, and this week, we're getting back to slasher basics with uh, the film that arguably gave birth to the slasher subgenre. That's right. We watched Psycho. Psycho. <laughs> Here we have a quiet little motel, when in fact it has now become known as the scene of the crime. Can you have a vacancy? Oh, we have 12 vacancies. You know, this is the first place that looks like it's hiding from the world. I think that we're all in our private traps, clamped in them. I know. Oh, it's going to be... Oh, they're going to talk about that score, Bourbon, dude. It's, uh, we're talking Hitchcock today. Uh, this episode, we're also going to be discussing the new trailers for Pearl, uh, Oppenheimer, and Bodies, 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 as well as touching on the movies uh, Smile and The Menu, which are some more thriller horror films that are coming out soon. So mm-hmm. we'll get to those later with our suggestions. Uh, man, we're here. It's, it's Hitchcock time. We're here again. Here we, we are at the here. source. Look at us. <laughs> this is like who would have thought who would have thought when you watch like when you watch movies with other cinephiles like if you're if you're not a, an initiate but like a normal person who likes watching movies they're like oh and then this is based off of this and then this is based off of that and you're like oh but this is the granddaddy like this is this it, is where it this all is where started it starts yeah mm-hmm. uh psycho man we're talking hitchcock today finally we're getting to hitchcock the og grandmaster seriously the master of suspense 
Um, for, for the uninitiated, if you haven't heard, if you've been living under a rock for a long time, I uh, haven't heard of Alfred Hitchcock. Or if you think he's irrelevant. He's not. He's not. Unfortunately, I mean, it, it's it's fine. I mean, everybody has their valid criticisms of Hitchcock as well. And uh, it's, you know, it is what it is. But as far as the filmmaker goes and the, the film legacy that he left us, especially in the context of thrillers, suspense, and horror, um, we're grateful for him. I don't know. He made some some bangers, uh, and I'm, I'm excited to talk be, about it. We wouldn't be where we're at today. No, nah, we wouldn't be here talking about lots of stuff without uh, without him. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock, boys. Yeah, widely considered to be one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Sir Alfred Hitchcock uh, was deemed the master of suspense for his work within the shub- uh, within uh, the genre on various thrillers that are still in popular rotation in the collections of many cinephiles today with such amazing works as uh, Rope, uh, The Rear Window, Dial M for Murder, uh, and of course, Psycho, the movie we're talking about today. 1960. The 1960 Psycho, not the Vince Vaughn Psycho. Did you guys, have you ever seen that one? No. No? Okay. <laughs> I have not. But it's going to happen now. Yeah, it will. Yeah. Eventually. I saw they made like three or four more like actual like canonical t- sequels to this 1960 Yeah, with movie. Anthony Perkins with reprising Anthony his role. Perkins. I yeah. was like, wow, he stuck around for a while on yeah. that one. Well, th- and there was more source material to go off of, right? Yeah. The, because... Uh, um, Robert Block's novels continued mm-hmm. past the just the first Psycho. Yeah, so and Robert Block. Of... This was my first introduction to like really his writing and stuff too. And it's crazy. Uh, we're kind of we're gonna get into the you know the inspiration, the book that this movie is based on, uh, and obviously the real life character that the book that the movie is based on is based mm-hmm. on. Um, but yeah, this is my first introduction to his work as well. And Robert Block has is is one of those writers that has a place in fiction at the same level as you know Lovecraft and stuff with his psychological and thriller you know content. Um, was this the first time you guys had seen Psych the 1960 this, Psycho? The, the original. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Cool. Man. This is my second. Your second. Yeah, but it's been a while, probably. Right. Uh. Yeah. This seems like something I, you probably had to watch for film school or something. Ironically, I didn't. I, I well, it doesn't say. I mean, film school kids will all watch this. Mm-hmm. I just had a weird path. I kind of skipped um a couple theory classes, mm. so I missed a lot of the like the bangers. But I kind of I'm a forever student. I had big FOMO when I was in Peru. And so I read an international film textbook, like chapter a night, <laughs> and took notes like I was in uh-huh. a class and watched some of the films they mentioned. So I watched Psycho while I was in Peru, but it was like I had to watch it on a bootleg website <laughs> on my laptop. It was yeah, just a little different. For this viewing, did you guys like just rent it from Amazon like I did? Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty – I mm-hmm. guess that's the easiest way to access it right now. Yeah. I don't know if you have um, – it might be on like the but Criterion the Amazon rental said it was like a UHD release. It was a pretty high quality. Mm-hmm. I don't know. My it was like blown up to like nineteen twenty by ten eighty mm-hmm. on my on my my TV too, mm-hmm. which I don't know what the original frame rate is on that. Yeah, it's I'm not sure. The version the version that I watched question. was really high quality. I was I was very yeah. pleased with the Christmas. However, they remastered mm-hmm. it is it looks great. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, Super sharp. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking Hitchcock. Uh, so Hitchcock, like we said, is one of the most famous filmmakers of all time, notable for his role in creating sort of like the suspense genre, um, pioneering a lot of like film, uh, a lot of various film techniques that we sort of take for granted now. Mm-hmm. Um, notably, the, the Hitchcockian style, right? Uh, editing, uh, the use of editing and camera movement to mimic sort of, you know, a person's gaze. Uh, you, 
making the viewers into the voyeurs that actually are present in many of his films as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we talked, we're going to talk about this out of order, but we talked about Rear Window at one point. Um, if you haven't seen Rear Window starring uh, James Stewart uh, and Grace Kelly, that's a, a movie that is going to be important in one of our later episodes. I was going to say, yeah. Um, <laughs> where uh, one of the main characters is a voyeur. Uh, but the, the, the use of, of, of framing and, and the, the style of camera work that Hitchcock is famous for, um, we it, it, it's, it feels so modern when you watch it in 2022 but it's crazy to think that in 1960 he was you know paving blazing trails and paving new ground yeah um, and you kind of have to place it within like a historical context is like uh hitchcock broke a lot of ground um uh, and we we might get into this later Mm -hmm. i I haven't looked at the spreadsheet (laughs) but um this is like at the end of the 50s america kind of went into this like post-world war ii like classic 50s vibe you know everybody's moving to the suburbs um, but um, this is kind of like a recurring theme and part of what carries into the social revolution of the 60s is like everything is not all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see it pop up more often in um, in younger culture. But Hitchcock cinema is like some of that. It captures some of that prevailing themes of like, you know, there's just something wrong with your neighbor or something wrong with you know, just, uh, or immoral people get punished in weird ways. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's kind of poking at the end of what was literally a, uh, censorship, um, series season in the U S we actually went through and it happened in several industries. Uh, the comic, like comic books had it, film had it, um, television was just getting its feet off the ground. So it didn't quite enter the atmosphere at the time. Um, but we were kind of tailing off at the end of the fifties into like, what they called the production code, mm-hmm. which was a like, I don't know, like it was a kind of a contractual obligation that a lot of studios who made big movies were like, we can't show. And then there's just like a long list of things. Yeah. When we think of like censorship and the MPAA in modern terms, right. and like, you know, the, the modern rating system and what it mm-hmm. includes, I think, you know, we're all very intimately kind of familiar with when things cross the threshold from being PG to PG 13, right. our ratings and how that can affect the performance of a movie, uh, how it's perceived, you know, in the public and stuff. Uh, but this is, yeah, like you said, this is sort of the, be- the beginning of that era of that uh, or a new era it's at like least. It, it starts to tail off mm-hmm. um after psycho mm-hmm. but it, throughout the 50s um there's like a huge it's just a mm-hmm. huge problem it's like a lot of the cinema you see from the 50s is very uh is like very happy and commoditized just like a very like simple very simple aesthetic that like the bad guys are bad. The good guys are good. Mm-hmm. Crime never pays. Yeah, and they're um, also it's very sexless, sexless too in a way. Too, yes, where yeah. notably like right. and yeah. imagery wise, like mm-hmm. yeah, no, they they wouldn't even let people sleep in the same beds. Yeah, or even imply that they were sleeping in the they same beds. Even yeah, show so in a, what was it? Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> Vertigo. I think was it Vertigo or was it North by Northwest? Uh, one of the films that almost directly preceded this uh, preceded Psycho. Um, there was uh, so Hitchcock is is was infamous for his dealings with the production code and the code you know enforcers of the various studios yeah they did uh, not he, like him he was always yeah. trying to figure out loopholes to get around them mm-hmm. um and, and there was to be fair to him too like he he was doing it he wasn't the only one there mm-hmm. were other movies like um easy rider was a really popular film in the 60s that was a like a sweeping success low budget movie that is like a cult phenomenon and it became that way because uh, it was kind of an underground release it was mm-hmm. like you know the youth are seeing this movie but no one knows it's got depict, depicts drugs and like rock and roll and mm-hmm. motorcycles. Yeah, because we can't market this. Yeah, in mainstream media and like who would want to watch this kind of stuff? But mm-hmm. that rebellious spirit is just another like it's 
an encapsulation of some of that uh, repressed energy that younger Americans are feeling after going through mm-hmm. like a well, decade the, or two where their yeah. traumatized parents are forcing them, exactly. like forcing well, the trauma the boomer, on them. The boomer generation is right. starting to hit their their stride right. and come into their own and separate themselves from. So naturally, from Psycho their, is from, like, what if they're murderers? Yeah. <laughs> what if everything in my idealized <laughs> suburb out here is not? Yeah, Perfect. which we will talk about that theme in a different episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that like we said, uh, famously Hitchcock was sort of like you said, like many other filmmakers, rubbing against these uh, code enforcers. Uh, I, I think it was it was probably like North by Northwest or something where there was a scene where they're in like a train car and like the light goes out at the end of the night, but like they had a problem. The the code people had a problem with the fact that like they end up in the same train car bed mm-hmm. at the end of the night, and they were like, "You're implying something there." And like yeah. he gets away with it by like giving leeway on other scenes where he's like, "All right, you can." take out like the, this other murder scene or whatever but we'll keep this one in um and similarly yeah with psycho there was a whole back and forth about like a couple of the we'll talk about the key ones in here that mm-hmm. that sort of triggered um the production code people uh throughout the, the making of this movie um so we'll so the summer as a, a quick summary of uh, psycho uh, a uh, so a phoenix office uh, office worker marion crane is fed up with the way uh life has treated her she has to meet her lover sam in lunch breaks and they cannot get married because sam has to give most of his money away to alimony Ooh. uh one <laughs> one friday marion is trusted uh, marion is trusted uh, to bank forty thousand dollars by her employer uh seeing the opportunity to take the money and start a new life marion leaves town and heads towards uh sam's california store uh, tired after the long drive and caught in a storm, she gets off the main highway and pulls into the Bates Motel. Uh, the motel is managed by a quiet young man called Norman, who seems to be dominated by his mother. Um, this is based on the book Psycho by Robert Block, mm-hmm. um, which is based on uh, a real-life uh, figure named uh, Ed Gein. Uh, yeah. If uh, the butcher of Plainfield, yeah, the butcher, the ghoul of Plainfield. Mm-hmm. Um, what was crazy to me also was the like how quickly that story got turned around. Uh, so Ed Gein's crimes were sort of first revealed in 1957. Yeah, I like, think his first, or what they think his first murder was early 50s, mm-hmm. and then. You know, I don't think he got caught till 56, 57, something like that. Yeah. And then the book was written in like 1958 or 1959. And, and then, then there was a movie. Yeah. This movie like came out. You couldn't out get directly away with that afterward. today. Yeah. Um, Although it's, uh, I guess, it's almost like, yeah. You would have a lot of people very upset with you yeah. for making a movie about it. I think we're dealing with that <laughs> yeah. problem now, but right? Like with the stuff. nine people in Plainfield were yeah. like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't uh, they didn't the nine people in plainfield wisconsin did not see this film yeah i was <laughs> <laughs> maybe they did they were like yeah that that's how it happened yep. yeah <laughs> Makes um, sense. he's so, just like ed what a great documentary <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i was thinking about that too because i was wondering i was like could you do it that quickly and then i realized all of the uh like the true crime stuff that goes on right now they're making like netflix has this weird trend right now where they're turning like the staircase into like oh, a fictional yeah. thing and mm-hmm. it's like they go directly from doing documentary it's like a dramatized version of it to the yeah the the weird dramatized yeah. version of it um i guess you're right i don't know how people pick and choose because like coming from wisconsin mm-hmm. um whenever anybody does any sort of Dahmer event or for a while people were trying to do like a Dahmer um city tour where they would stop at like locations where he found his victims people, man what yeah and hell? people like freak the <laughs> fuck out but like you can make a movie about it about yeah. real people who died and it's that's fine 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, I don't, I don't know. Where, I don't know where, where, where the line do we draw is drawn. that line? Yeah. It's almost like we, we, I guess this kind of all like harkens way back to our conversation that we had like on Sinister, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's almost like one of the main running themes in that movie is about the exploitation of, you know, other people suffering for financial gain. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, how like Scott Derrickson was like simultaneously speaking to that, but like complicit in it in a yeah. weird way. Right. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Which he kind of did the he kind of went back on that when we talked about Black Phone. Remember, we were talking about like why don't we know more about Ethan Hawke's character? And mm-hmm. we're like, maybe we don't want to like fantasize. We're not, yeah, right. we're not going to glorify. You know, maybe yeah. they, they do yeah. a good job. And of it was not also, I mean, maybe that's just right. Joe Hill more than right. Scott Derrickson, but it's still yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is. It's interesting too, because that in that example, it crosses the line into fiction too. Is yeah, like, that's what I was gonna say. It, in that in that sense, it was a work of fiction rather than like. Some so of the his, line's a little blurry. Yeah, his other say. stuff, which it was like, yeah, the, his first, you know, the Exorcism uh, of Emily Rose, which is loosely based on. We talk, go right. the Smarter Sinister episode. We're, we're gonna yeah. not gonna get too much into the sidebar <laughs> episode. Yeah. Uh, uh, of, of this episode, but um, before we get into that other stuff about the book and various other things, uh, we can kind of start talking about um, the framing and like sort of the 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 production history that led up to uh, the making of this movie, which is I think. It's kind of crazy, um, and then we'll kind of talk about the movie itself, and then some of the other. Like Travis said, did a ton of research. I did. I don't know. He it, sent us like a, a couple photos of books, and I was like, okay, <laughs> good. I don't, I don't know yeah. if I would call it. Re- it's I like, have like a, f- a, f- a note on my phone. Yeah, yeah I don't know if I would call it research. Yeah. As much I've got as a like, little Google Doc. Yeah, yeah. I, got, yeah. <laughs> I, I just got bingy into like. Okay, so first of all, I want to say uh, like up top here, um, a lot of the information that we're going to talk about is uh, pulled from a book called Alfred Hitchcock: A Life in Darkness and Light um, by Patrick McGilligan, uh, which is an incredible exhaustive account of his life and career um, if you want like literally a month by month sort of like step by step telling of Some what his voyeurism yeah exactly Hitchcock I didn't yeah I haven't read it, that book is huge and I read the important parts that have to do with 1950s and 60s and psycho mm-hmm. um, and that was enough uh, for, for what we're going to talk about um, my, thank you to my friend Nikki too for gifting me that book that was very nice and nice. I like it a lot um, I will read the whole thing one day um, we also kind of, uh, I, I read, uh, through, uh, Robert Block's Psycho. It's a short, very quick novella. It's a one day read. Very fun. Mm. Oh, um, cool. very, very similar. Like it's interesting how little from the original plot, uh, was changed of the book was changed, but we're going to talk about, um, what was significant about the changes that Hitchcock decided to make. Um, and then also, uh, I pulled up again, this, uh, comic book that came out kind of recently, um, which is a collaboration between Harold Schechter uh, and Eric Powell uh, called Did You Hear What Eddie Gein, Eddie Gein Done? Um, which is sort of a, a comic um, telling of the events of Ed Gein's life. Um, Harold Schechter is a famous true crime author who, who's mm-hmm. also written uh, a, a sort of a, a in-depth analysis of the life of Ed Gein and his crimes. Um, and he partnered with a comic book artist, uh, last year or the year before to make this comic book, which is really, really cool. And the reason I pull out the comic book is because it has some really interesting thematic elements that show up in the original book that I think will be interesting to touch on as well. Uh, so that all that being said, uh, so the year 1955, right? This uh, kind of like you were talking about, what's also interesting about this period, right? Not just within the film industry. Um, I think it's like the the period that it that takes place during Hitchcock's career and his life as well. Um, there's a, there's a, a span of movies that he makes uh, in a row that are kind of like seen. This is one of his best, I don't know, filmmaking periods of all time uh, within this like this this era leading up to the making of Psycho. Um, so these films include uh, Rear Window in 1954. Um, we have Vertigo comes out in 1950, 1958. Uh, North by Northwest uh, starring Cary Grant in 1959. And then Psycho in 1960. 
Um, wow. So Rope isn't included in there, which Rope I think is also I you know kind of looked each at one, as one of those, those movies is like a class unto yeah. itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but those are all kind of seen as like you know like I said this is just this is like Carpenter's like early '80s era where it's oh, just man. like banger after banger. What a dream! Yeah, he can't be stopped. Yeah. <laughs> the somebody, yeah. somebody, please stop this man. Um, notably, uh, Vertigo, for instance, uh, rep- in popular culture, replaced uh, Citizen Kane at the time as being voted by many uh, within Britain at least uh, as being one of the, the best movie of all time essentially um, I've only seen so I watched uh, Rear Window and North by Northwest uh, leading up to this I haven't seen Vertigo yet um, I've seen Rope but I haven't seen that Vertigo or The Birds actually those are my blind spots for Hitchcock um, but that being said I will say that like yeah these are man the way these movies hold up is fucking crazy uh, watching Cary Grant in North by Northwest and then learning about from this book about all the crazy shenanigans that happen um, and the production of that film, they had all these deals with like there's this pivotal chase scene involving Mount Rushmore, and they had all these deals with like the park services uh, in in uh, South Dakota. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for Mount Rushmore, where they were like, all right, we're gonna film this like chase scene, and they're like, wait, what? Uh, and <laughs> they were like, they're that. like, no, you're not. Uh, and so they ended up having to go like make models and stuff, and back in California and do all this other. I crazy think I remember shit. learning about that because they did some yeah. like rear projection stuff with Cary Grant to pro- like make it look like he was. Yeah, there's, Did a, I get that? I there's a lot. No, there is, because mm. there's also a scene later, the, one of the most famous scenes from North by Northwest, where he's getting uh, dive-bombed by a crop by duster. Yeah, yeah, so he he hits the deck at one point and, like, dives under, a, like, an oil tanker, and then the plane crashes into the oil tanker. Uh, and for that, there was, like, some rear projection work that was done, because it was also okay. on the set for that. They did go out to, a, like, a cornfield out in the middle of, like, the Midwest. Um and uh, everybody was yelling at each other, and Cary Grant was trying not to kill Hitchcock at the time. A lot uh, of people wanted to kill Hitchcock. A lot For of people, the record, yeah. he did make a lot of people yeah. mad, not he just was, the censors. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and he was kind of a dick on set. Yeah. He was he, very much a dick. He, yeah, <laughs> dick not kind of. Producers, yeah, yeah. producers, actors. Yeah, even by today's standards, yeah. <laughs> he was a fucking asshole. Yeah, maybe not to Kubrickian levels, but like, I don't know. I mean, the model's there, right? Yeah, it is. There's an archetype. Mm-hmm. Um, America so, loves its asshole geniuses. Yeah. That's what I'll say. Uh, um, so in his book, that, that uh, biography I just referenced, uh, McGilligan references a conversation between uh, with the screenwriter for Psycho, uh, Joseph Stefano, or the ultimate screenwriter. Um, he wasn't the first choice uh, for uh, to write the play, um, in which Stefano kind of reflects that Hitchcock had sort of reached this point in his professional life when he was ready for a totally different kind of picture. Um, and that's in reference to the making of Psycho. Um, so... Leading up, in the, like we said, in these years leading up to the making of Psycho, when Vertigo is getting made, um, Rear Window is getting made, uh, Hitchcock, particularly during the filming of Vertigo, um, Hitchcock's health takes a big dive. Uh, he suffers a lot um, with his personal health, and then at the same time, his uh, his wife Alma um, is diagnosed with cancer. Um, so he sort of starts to come to grips with his own mortality, uh, and Stefan, at least at the time, Stefano kind of says that this may have a lot to do with... Um, Hitchcock's relationship with death and his decision and his excitement to pursue films like Psycho. Um, Immediately after making Vertigo, uh, Hitchcock was actually 
in production to make a film called No Bail for the Judge. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this story before. Um, it's basically like, have you heard this? I, I read know. the Wikipedia page, so I'm like, <laughs> I'm, a he- I'm a headlines guy. I yeah. remember the headlines. Yeah, there's a there's a pretty big, I think that, yeah, it, this shows up in like a Wikipedia article about it, but basically No Bail for, a judge, uh, for the Judge um, was a film that he was going to make based on a novel of the same name um, by a writer named Henry Cecil, who was a uh, an English judge who wrote fiction and nonfiction and plays based around um, like procedural crime essentially this was like the procedural crime of the 50s in, in England um, the novel concerns a, uh, a lady barrister whose father is a well-known judge at the Old Bailey um, her dad the judge uh, suffers uh, an accident and is injured on the street one day and then uh, is assisted by a, a friendly uh, oh, sex worker um, who takes him in and kind of like helps him with his injury and so he develops this relationship with her um, and then it's sort of like a Barton Fink story where he wakes up one day and she's been murdered um, and he gets arrested uh being suspected of the uh, being the murderer um and then his daughter has to go off and figure out how to uh how to exonerate him essentially um the daughter in this film was supposed to be played by audrey hepburn um this was uh in at the time uh paramount was basically lining this up to be the next big project for hitchcock to work on uh, on behalf of paramount um Everything was kind of, you know, moving forward. Uh, but one of the key things that Hitchcock was adding to the script, um, he was making Audrey Hepburn's character, uh, the daughter of the judge, um, basically have a lot more volition and serve as sort of like the investigator in the story. Um, she poses as a sex worker at one point and then gets kidnapped. Um, and in the script that Hitchcock wrote, he adds a scene of uh, like assault, essentially, where she is very nearly raped. Um, and this obviously, like we talked about earlier, this is a, this sent up big flags with the uh, a production mm-hmm. code and everything and they said absolutely you can't put this in your movie um that would be traumatic to everybody involved and the viewers as well uh and audrey hepburn similarly is also like, like I, i'm out i don't want to be yeah, in this that, movie that will ruin my career <laughs> yeah well that and also she uh so what's interesting too is like she i get she becomes uh pregnant at the time too uh during the 1959 um and uh because she had suffered miscarriages before and alfred hitchcock had also had sort of a history with dealing with actors uh and pregnancies on set the whole thing kind of that combined with like the issues with censorship and everything the whole film kind of goes by the wayside and gets shelved for a while along with other films such as flamingo feather and bush um paramount is trying to figure out what to do with hitchcock at the time because he's basically wasted two hundred fifty thousand dollars to two million dollars on productions that don't really end up panning out um and he's still on contract to make a, another film with them um, and this is when he talks to his uh, good buddy named Lou, Wasser- Lou Wasserman uh, about a project called Psycho that he wants to make uh, based on a book by Robert Block um, that had just recently come out. Uh, this is uh, where I was kind of talking to you earlier about some of like the weird shysty like back yeah. back back, see- back behind the scenes yeah, uh, studio stuff starts to happen. To double deal. Thank yeah, you. there's oh, a yeah. lot of fun stories there. Yeah. So what's going on at this time? Uh, Lou Wasserman is uh, he's one of the head producer who uh, for MCA who um, had taken over uh, the Universal backlot. Essentially, um, they made a deal the previous year to buy the Universal backlot and its entire like 350 acre. Um, studio space for $11 million at the time, $11.25 million, which I guess in modern money is like 
100 million, 112 million or something yeah, like that. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, there's a lot of use of the inflation calculator for this episode because yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of... I was doing it several times. <laughs> Trying yeah. to figure out how, how much, much is 40,000 dollars? Yeah, How much right? is 700 dollars? <laughs> yeah, how much this stuff cost back in 1960. Um, so Lou Wasserman, uh, he's now the head of, of Universal slash MCA, um, is trying to basically poach Hitchcock from Paramount Studios to make a new movie. Uh, Lou Wasserman is is not nearly as uh, squeamish about making a movie based on this uh, this thriller novel, which includes you know a violent murder, um, cross dressing, and some sexiness, sexiness, some nudity. Mm-hmm. Um, and Param- once uh, uh, Hitchcock introduces the idea of the movie to Paramount, they they want to get themselves as far away from it as possible. Um, also funny, I th- what I was interested in this was the fact that, like, uh, so Hitchcock's um, secretary, or not his secretary, one of his underwriters or something, Peggy, oh, yeah. yeah, she she was the one who originally read the book by Robert Block. And uh, was Psycho. like, you should check this out. Yeah, and he read it and immediately loved it, and he told her to go buy all of the copies yeah, that she knew Yeah, he was of. like, I don't want people to know about this before the movie comes out. Exactly. Yeah. And what's... He was out there just buying up every fucking copy he could find. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what's Robert funny... Block's like, why are all my books going to this one address? <laughs> well, and that's what happens is, so somebody, you know, he gets approached uh, about the copyright, about, you know, the rights yeah. to his book to make the film or whatever. But Alfred Hitchcock uh, sent an emissary basically to approach him anonymously to buy the rights for it, <laughs> which means that essentially, like, so if if you're the author, you know, if you're you're, you're Robert Block and you're like, oh, cool, somebody wants to make a movie out of my out of my book, that's really awesome. I hope I get a good deal out of this. Yeah, and they they float you a price. They and offer like, him, that seems like a fine price. But if he had known that it was, that it was fucking Hitchcock, Hitchcock. <laughs> he could have been like, give me ten yeah. times that. Much money. Yeah, exactly. So they end up making a he deal got, for. Like, for what, nine thousand dollars, yeah. yeah, for uh, for the rights to make the book, which I guess, like we said, modern times, what is that like almost a hundred thousand? Yeah, which like about, I mean, he was probably stoked. Yeah, still not a terrible deal, but it is kind of like the beginning but of. But once this, you like, see how much Hitchcock makes, makes off, off this movie, so, yeah. I'd be livid. Well, yeah. and Hitchcock kind of had to. He staked himself on this movie's production, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, because it, his uh, he he knew he could do it. <clears throat> he took his payment as a cut of the right. gross, right? Which correct was like. Paramount let him do it because they're like, yeah. there's no fucking way this is going to be commercially successful. This mm-hmm. movie's disgusting. So they're like, yeah, you can take 60% of the gross, which yeah, he defers then in his... today's money is like $130 million yeah, or something. ridiculous. It's Just like... fucking absurd numbers. That's <laughs> yeah. insane. I would t- I couldn't, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't do it. I would t- definitely be like, yeah, I don't want to make this movie either. Let's, <laughs> what's the money worth? I'm so, I would do, I would take the money. Yeah, because he, so he essentially buys himself out of his contract with Paramount. What happens is, uh, so like Lou Wasserman comes in and he's like, hey, I've got this new studio. I know that you guys at Paramount aren't super stoked about the idea of making this film. It's got nudity. Uh, it's got violent murders in it. Um, um, how about we do this? We'll make it at Universal, um, and you guys like can essentially. Hitchcock said he's not. He's going to basically direct it for free, but he's going to take you know points on the the revenue for this movie. Like you said, it's sixty percent of the uh, the overall revenue. Um, basically, up to a point where Paramount has made a certain amount of money back, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, whatever is left over goes to. Well, and I think he was so set on doing this that he helped finance the movie. Hitchcock was like, "I will help pay to produce this thing." Yeah, and like you said, he's Which pulling. People never do. You never put your own money in the film. In your yeah, films. but it's. I think that's what's also fascinating that I was. That that's kind of the, one of the first times I learned about this was the idea that like he's he wasn't really ever in it for the money like he's just kind of like as I don't know all the stuff you could say about him I was like well that's 
I don't know. Like the yeah, idea the money that he just, just worked out for him. Yeah, he was just so committed to filmmaking. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, he's just an artist asshole, not yeah. a money making artist asshole. Uh-huh. Yeah. He doesn't um, care. By comparison, uh, Lou Wasserman was taking... So, yeah, he says, let's go and film this, essentially, at the Universal Backlot. Um, you can rent all of our equipment and, like, use all of our stuff. So uh, Hitchcock actually gets deposed by the uh, Justice Department for supposed, like, insight. Like, essentially, the idea that Lou Wasserman was getting, like, kickbacks for... He, for he essentially use that facility. Yeah, he essentially sold his client to Paramount and then made them buy back, you know, like the the production process essentially yeah. from him. Um, so he kind of like double dipped on this whole deal with Hitchcock and making Psycho, which I love because uh, in Hitchcock's perspective, I guess is what gets translated in some of the myth behind this movie mm-hmm. too. Is that like he wanted to make this movie so bad he helped pay for it. Like he was like, I'll I'll fucking pay for it. Like I want mm-hmm. I need to do this. Uh, it, they agreed to do it in an extremely low budget, and he agreed that he could do it with his crew that he uses for his TV show. Because he was like, "These people run fast. Mm-hmm. I bet we can. Like, we employ these people. They know what the hell they're doing. They know me. We can get this thing knocked out." Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was trying to get away from like the very bloated, yeah. extremely long production process, which so you obviously see, worked like, well for him. Yeah, but you know, maybe this is tied to like his mortality and everything. He's mm-hmm. like, "I'm gonna make this quick. I'm gonna make it cheap." I'm going to show everybody well, that is... I can just fucking do this. Yeah. And then, you know, t- the television actors, producers, and crew right. were kind of really hitting their stride, too, at this point. Yeah. Um, and I think he was probably one of the first people to be like, these are the people I need right. on set because we're going to streamline this. It's going to be cheaper. Yeah. Um, and so much of that, too, is just understanding pressure. Is like you need a crew that can work under pressure, and TV is one of the most pressured, like even more than yeah. films. Um, they just run so fast. But it is kind of like... you've got Hitchcock breathing down your fucking neck. Right. And <laughs> it, yeah, and Hitchcock's like breathing down his own fucking neck, kind of. But it's the, uh, the greater idea, too, is like a lot of directors... You'll see it happen. It, it still happens today, is a lot of directors will do their big, bloated movie and then kind of like... Um, either by choice or by force, like do a much slimmer movie. They'll get yeah. like a much smaller budget. Um, and so it's that pressure that forces them to be more creative. Like mm-hmm. they don't have the out of being like, I don't know, we can fix this in post. Like you, when they get that that sh- that small short budget, like short small budget movie that just doesn't like it forces them to think. They tend to make some of their best work too. It's interesting because like, I don't know if that yeah like I wonder this, if that is like a, a great example. Yeah, like in, especially in modern times with like the whole like with the nature of like the MCU and like the Disney right. movie making machine. The one for where... them, one for us is a is a Soderbergh idea. He yeah. actually did that when he did Ocean's Eleven. Interesting. Yeah, he kind of uh, pioneered the idea that was like I'll just trade, I'll do contracts where I do like. Like one movie that's kind of a crowd pleaser and then one movie that's for me yeah because and i wonder i guess it does still kind of hold up because i'm thinking of you know like james wan doing fucking like thinking, aquaman and then doing and malignant, then doing malignant yeah. in the middle and then right. like or uh scott derrickson guillermo del toro yeah uh, intentionally went and made um like the shape of water mm-hmm. but he made it like an indie movie um, yeah i listened to him talk about it and he was like yeah i just finished like pacific rim like all these big big movies i was kind of over my like I just wanted to force myself to like think creatively. I think yeah. I won an Oscar. Yeah, yeah. And I think, but, weird how that but then like Nightmare if that's Alley a metric came for out. success. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Did you watch Nightmare Alley? Yes, yeah. I did. I loved it. Oh I, my god, Travis didn't love it. I was okay with it. I I got way I too overhyped for the for that movie. I yeah, that was the thing. It had to come in under hype. Yeah, which was a, it was a patient wait for me, and I'm glad I waited because it was very rewarding i keep doing that thing where i yeah, i did the same thing i did for um like the black phone probably where i like 
I was like, oh, this is really cool. It's based on this book. So I was like reading the book and then I watched like the original 1960s version of it oh, or yeah. whatever. And I was like, man, there's so many cool things that I bet Guillermo del Toro is going to do with this movie. And then I went and watched it and I was like, huh. I guess he just made. Oh, you, yeah, with Nightmare Alley. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He just kind of uh, remade the the old version. Yeah, um, and that's a that's fine. a fair criticism. Yeah. But uh, I mean, it's just nice to see it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, oh man, who was it? Somebody calls it. Uh, some uh, this is like a really dumb quote, but someone said that like a lot of people. Maybe it was Guillermo del Toro. It's like a lot of people eat or kind of like get their movie candy, mm-hmm. and it's like I want to give people like their vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Yo, stuff your vegetables down my throat, please. <laughs> I will die. <laughs> give me that broccoli. Give me more Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I love that stuff. Oh, man. Um, um, so yeah, so Hitchcock decides to make this movie in the style of uh, the diabolique genre. Um, so Diabolique was this, uh, this French thriller that was made in the 1950s, uh, also in black and white. Um, that's like, uh, the story is about like a wife and a mistress of a loathed school principal who plans to murder him with what they believe is like, with what she believes is like the perfect alibi. Um, and it's, uh, this is kind of one of the reasons. And then also because of budgetary reasons that Hitchcock decided to move forward, uh, making the movie in black and white, uh, as well as the idea that having like the blood, the murder scene, like showing blood, uh, in color in that bathroom would have been grotesque, uh, mm-hmm in his own words and would have that would have tanked the movie completely probably um like that's when he was like no we're jumping the shark yeah (laughs) color would be jumping the shark yeah right um he decides to make it with uh so uh, janet lay plays the the pivotal character of uh uh marion um we have anthony perkins playing norman bates um vera miles playing lila crane and john gavin playing sam loomis um Sam Loomis is the name that inspired. I was going to say, I heard it and I was like, I, yeah, wait, is that, is that it? Is that, that is the, the reason that John yeah. Carpenter. So Sam Loomis is the name of uh, Dr. Loomis in, in the Halloween movies. That is the reason that John Carpenter Plural. named his He's uh, in several Halloween movies. Oh, the Halloween movies. Yeah. That's the reason John Carpenter named him. Uh, Dr. Loomis is because of Sam Loomis from, uh, from this movie. Oh, what do you know? Yeah. I like the detective's name. That one. Abergast. Ab- Arbogast. 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 Sorry. Arbogast. Arbogast. Uh, but yeah, so uh, this is made, like I said, in the, in the Diabolique genre. It's made in black and white uh, to maybe sort of like buffer the censors a little bit. Um, one of the things that I think is like most notable about this, yeah, so Anthony Perkins is cast as uh, as Norman Bates, right? Um, this is sort of the first kind of like major departure from the source material. Um, in the book, uh, Psycho, Norman Bates is much more of a, a sad character uh he's a much older like more overweight he's like um, in his 40s right? yeah he's like a middle age with like glasses and stuff and and much less imposing um the idea to make him into this like handsome young almost like like he is pretty handsome he's yeah anthony perkins in this movie i watched is, it is and i was like whoa yeah. Yeah. whoa whoa slow down you're telling me the killer's a baddie yeah, yeah right one of the top letterbox reviews is literally just like the biggest twist is that norman bates is hot <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah i saw one that was like do i love stab stab guy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird because and i think that's like yeah the choice to do that and the idea so uh anthony perkins at the time too is also kind of um He's being built up as this uh, sort of this this uh, male acting idol within the Paramount sort of studio machine as well. Um, he's getting a lot of roles in romance movies uh, and sort of being put in in opposition to like uh, you know female leads as as being this you know handsome you know 
young actor because he is he's adorable like in yeah. this movie too like he's enchanting in a way where it's like when he starts like in more some of their key scenes right another th- big thing that was changed from the book is um they expand a lot on the conversation that he has with marion um in the parlor right yeah um screenwriter yeah, whole, like yeah <laughs> monologue about personal traps right it's a lot more philosophical right robert stefano mm-hmm. wanted to include like this idea of uh yeah like the the time the free time that you have and like you know what you're, the the choice of like free will and like you know volition and like being able to to do what you will with your life um yeah his character is just much more like mystifying it seems much more complex um in the book yeah he's he's just kind of an incel like mm. it's yeah. he's straightforward <laughs> like i don't know he so the like the spying scene where he's, he's like, like way less complex yeah he's he's basically he's very much more like straightforward just like triggered by his own sexuality essentially that's what causes him to sort of like go into his fits of you know like mm. his his blackouts or whatever um in that that scene where uh he's like spying on marion like through mm. the uh like the hole in the wall yeah behind the picture. yeah in in the book he's like doing it but he's like getting drunk at the same time and he starts going into this like soliloquy about about how all women are evil and stuff and is very like yeah it's a it's much mm-hmm. much darker and it's really yeah. interesting that Which, that's, that's much more true to the gene to the ed gene source material that's and that's what i want to like his mother like yeah was trying to beat that into him yeah that sexuality was evil women right. were out to get him and they were like you know they're the source of original sin like that's mm-hmm. his mother truly believed that mm-hmm. and drilled that into him yeah. up until her death Sunday scaries. So the movie's more faithful to the actual events. Yeah. In some ways. In some ways. And I think that's what's like really, this is kind of what I wanted to sort of like unravel here and what's interesting to me about this uh, and why like, so another thing about the book uh, that I thought was fascinating though was that, um, so Errol Schechter, the true crime writer, right? Mm -hmm. He's the one who wrote like the actual um, like analysis of Gein and like one of his other books. Um, Is it Degenerate or is it, shoot, I forget the name of that book some uh, Harold Schechter on Ed Gein. If you look that up, you'll okay. find the book, but it's um, one of his in uh, the reason I bring up that, that comic book that I had is in his, in his investigation, like recently of Ed Gein and sort of like trying to unravel his personality. Um, one of the things that he sort of teased out of that was this idea that uh, Ed Gein's practices and stuff were very like ritualistic in like an ancient sort of way. Um, mm. And this harkens back to like this idea that um, like of like, you know, like indigenous tribes, like in warriors, like sacrificing, their enemies and like turning their heads into like goblets and stuff or like you know using their bodies as like as decoration to mm. to ward off like and other yeah, enemies putting them on pikes and, right yeah displaying um, them yeah and there's something about like the nature of ed gein's crimes where yeah he was a so i guess we kind of like glossed over this but yeah he was a like primarily a grave robber he, he mm-hmm. was convicted of murdering two people um and uh but and his maybe more and unconfirmed maybe more yeah, maybe but, his brother yeah maybe those two younger girls mm-hmm. unconfirmed but he, yeah but. he was convicted of murdering two people but like the, the biggest thing about ed gein and why he sort of like sticks around in pop culture and has been sort of referenced so many times by like movies like psycho and uh, other movies that we'll cover later in the series um, is that yeah his he, he would he would rob graves and then use human body material to do arts and crafts essentially mm-hmm. he would do Cups these like skull caps yeah like using skin, skin to like masks mm-hmm, to make, elbow macaroni yeah. <laughs> <art>. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. He would yeah. make macaroni art with actual elbows. With elbow uh, macaroni. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in that in that sense, there's this whole sequence in the the original book by Robert Block where uh, that is kind of a, a refrain for the character of Norman Bates, where he's reading this reference material about the ancient Incan Empire, uh, and in the reference material, it talks about uh, how these like warriors would make drums out of the bellies of their enemies and then like leave their mouths open as like a resonance chamber, and like the idea of these like ancient Incas drumming on the bellies of their enemies is like mm-hmm. a thing that keeps popping into his mind when his mother like speaks to him um either in his own mind or or whatever yeah. uh and there's something about that that was Jesus. just like yeah really, <laughs> uh, it's a really creepy like thing to go down but I, I thought that was like really fascinating because i think like the actual character of ed Gein is n- not nearly as as scary as you know he's made out to be like he's just a he he gets He's initially found uh, unfit to stand trial because he uh, and he was confined to a mental yeah, health facility. By reason of insanity. Yeah, because he for was... like ten years or so. Yeah, and they were like, I think they probably just wanted to try to get rid of him. Yeah, yeah he died <laughs> at a he died at a mental health institute. Yeah. Um, and he eventually, because yeah, he was he was just so malformed mentally mm-hmm. that he yeah he he just couldn't perceive the the real world. Um, That's so interesting to me too, um, because like how much we understand about. Um, this like deep site like the deep psychosis of criminal behavior mm-hmm. uh wasn't something that we really picked up on um until way after the 60s like that yeah. idea that like you know your relationship with your mother how messed up it might be could influence how you interact with the other sex and mm-hmm. even potentially make you like a female serial murderer mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. was Though not I, like I mean, a concept right, until yeah i was surprised because at the end of psycho yeah yeah they when, give a lot of when reasoning. the the psychiatrist or I don't know if he it describes is like himself as surprisingly modern. Yeah. Like, it's like that as far same, as, like, thought goes, tautologically, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's that same thing that we kind of, like, talked about uh, when we referenced uh, Silence of the Lambs the other day, and we were talking about, like, you know, the character in that movie and how it's unfortunate because this gets sort of, in popular culture, because, like, the nuance is, is hard to sort of carry over into, like, right. you know, reviews mm-hmm. or headlines and stuff. The content of that scene, yeah, he, he uses the derogatory term, like, transvestite, but, like, whenever, or people use that term in that scene when they're trying to describe Ed Gein, but he's like, no, he's not. He's not transgender. Which like, is funny, too, for context. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And the psychologist is like, nah, that's not it. No, it's like, like he, it's very clinical it, for him. You know, yeah. yeah, at the time, it, that was the scientific term that would yeah. have been that would have been used. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we are not going to use that anymore. But yeah, for for the era, that was correct. Right, and so. I, I thought that was interesting though. Is like at the end of the movie, they they even try to like bring that up. Like the the opposing characters bring that up, but then the the psychologist who's, who's essentially the stand-in for like Hitchcock himself, like mm-hmm. he like rationalized. It's like him summarizing yeah. the whole story for the viewers, for exactly to kind yeah. of explain <laughs> cliff notes right at the end. In <laughs> yeah. case you didn't, he mansplains it yeah. to everybody to other men. Just watch. So I don't think it's <laughs> technically mansplaining if it's to other uh-huh. men. Yeah, <laughs> true. It, it seems very I mean, no, targeted at the Tyler, audience. Though. I don't think you know what you're talking. About, so let me I, explain I to don't. you. I'm the person here that knows the least about film uh, the, by far. I know the least about so. Ed Gein, so. <laughs> I'm uh, sorry. Go that's on. That's my one thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like you were saying, it's like, it, it's one of those things where it, it it is a, a surprisingly like nuanced view on his like psychology and stuff. And he's like, no, it's not that he's like, like transgendered or sees himself as another right. like or anything. It's just that he has a deep psychosis that is completely different. He has like a multiple personality disorder or mm-hmm. is like going into fits of like schizophrenic or like, you know, but it's so like explained to his trauma that mm-hmm. like he clearly had a messed up relationship with mm-hmm. his mother, killed his mother and her lover in their bed together, implying mm-hmm. they were either it's a strict nine poisoning. Yeah. 
Um, and in a way, he couldn't. He loved his mother and hated her so much that he needed to steal her corpse out of the coffin before it was buried, put something else in there, and then dress the corpse up, go full like a rose for Emily until she eventually decays too much that he takes on her personality. And they're saying, like, mm. he essentially loved his mother so much, he faked being his mother long enough to become his mother. And that, that, like, became that part of him. bifurcation yeah. um, is so strong that it motivates him when he feels like his brain, basically like his brain's torn in half on, mm-hmm. like, two ideas. He just kills the thing that's messing up his brain. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's, like, a really, really fucked up, like, error 404 yes <laughs> he's just like yeah, he uh, just allows uh, the the mother part right of him but to, even to, to deal with the problem so that he doesn't have to anymore. even to mm-hmm. link it to that trauma is more generous than i think many movies would would continue to give until like uh w- way way later it's yeah just like mm-hmm. they're bad guys and he's crazy That's yeah they're it. bad yeah. because they're bad like me- plenty of other slashers mm-hmm. like we'll go down the rabbit hole as well but like they're just uh, they're either like sexually motivated or some maybe not motivated at all. Mm-hmm. That's kind of mm-hmm. like the real scary is the existential motivation. You're like they just fucking like killing people. Yeah, the think, strangers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, the strangers is a, is like an because opposite of the home. psycho. Yeah. in a lot of ways. And I think that's what's fun about like as we go through the series and stuff too is like the the intimate relationship between true crime and between the slasher genre is yeah. like that's what's so real about it is because and we get to see the many different ways this gets incarnated. And for a movie, I think maybe this is you know one of the reasons why this movie holds up after six decades and why it, it's at the time too is like it such a commercial success you know in the in the decade afterward is that yeah it's it's a genuinely nuanced and interesting like look at a character that has complexity to them um and yeah. it's a yeah i don't know especially like i said in those uh i felt it was like more generous to norman than it was to uh marion oh times. yeah i was like holy shit yeah because let's go let's woman yeah let's quickly go through uh we we did the plot summary up top but like let's go through you know the, the scenes really quickly to kind of like talk about the the big key points um uh, marion is like we said at the top uh she's dating this guy sam who is uh di- divorced and stuff and paying alimony which um, we see her in her bra which yeah the first time i think it's mm-hmm. like one of the early times they ever ever saw that on yeah not not screen. only that but they had just had a little uh, afternoon delight uh and yeah. so it was uh, on their lunch break yeah exactly which just, is yeah, if you're keeping room. moral score technically by like 1960s standards big no-no oh yeah strike one the first moment we meet her mm-hmm. we're like if well, you're going sam, by the audience's standard, even sam like, being divorced is a right big that's no-no. huge at the time yeah. yeah so she's like three strikes in the first 10 minutes mm-hmm uh, but so she's yeah they're they're having this their little daytime liaison and stuff and then she goes back to work and uh, there's like a deal going on where uh, a man is buying a house for his daughter for forty thousand dollars right <sighs> this might be the old this is mm. one of the earliest and best moments where we feel sympathy for her we're kind of like whatever yeah that guy yeah. sucks when she she could take his money there's this yeah after that conversation with that absolute hog of a man yeah. oh my god they're like, yeah. Closing, I'm like yeah you should take the money they're closing definitely a, take the money a big deal i guess he's buying property right he's, he's buying, buying a house he's buying a house for, for his, his 18 year old daughter is getting married um, <laughs> that sentence alone i'm like jesus yeah. christ for so it's really funny in the book so <laughs> meanwhile for, us millennials are like for, i'll never own a home no, for yeah for one thing forty thousand dollars in 1960 is the equivalent of about like four hundred and two thousand four hundred thousand four hundred twenty in 2022 so it's not a cheap <sighs> house yeah uh, for one thing but that's the point is he has a lot of money he has a shitload of 
money and he gives it to her in cash. Not just that. Yeah. They like ask for a check because they're like, it's definitely safe. And he's like, yeah, I don't do checks. I got 40000 in cash right, right here, here, baby. Yeah, this Whips isn't it sketchy out. at all. Whips it out, pun intended, <laughs> and then proceeds to flirt with the, the nearest, hottest secretary he can find, which is our poor, beloved Marion Crane. Yeah, it, and in the book, it's actually way more insidious. Like, he has this, uh, there's this whole thing of like, it's it's actually really interesting. They like, uh, they had, he had been to their uh, property management thing multiple times before uh and marion when she's like mary in the book is reflecting Mm -hmm. that uh one time he like slid a hundred dollar bill across the table and was like hey you want to come down to dallas with me for the weekend uh basically like and the implication of she said she's like i know right yeah well he was like i don't think some rich cowboy but like the idea of him uh, yeah he's like you know she's she's the way she says it in the book i think is like to to have uh exclusive rights to her body for the weekend or something Mm -hmm. uh, as the way she phrases it in her head as she's like breaking this guy down because in the book she goes into this long internal monologue about justifying taking money from this guy and there's this whole like fascinating like anti-capitalist rant where she goes through and it's like you know i, I hate him and how he can you know he he, he right. they're they the ones who get to decide what what they buy and what they own and we're the ones who have to like you know respond to it or whatever and i was like oh it's it was a really you know it was a really cathartic like little yeah, this, whole, this whole <laughs> yeah this is gonna be a crass comparison but the guy that hits on her is like buck strickland yeah in, uh, absolutely yeah. Like it's very much like a wealthy cowboy or older guy not um, afraid to hit on younger women. I was thinking of a uh, Packer from uh, The Office, or what's the name of the actor that plays the guy in uh, Anchorman? Uh, Rob Cordry. Rob Cordry, yeah. Cordry or Cordy or something? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know yeah, what yeah. Talking about. He no, would be the. It's not Rob, Rob Cordry. Who's the that plays plays Packer in Anchorman? He he's the like the cowboy, he's the, the sports, sports guy, dude. right? Yeah, I don't remember his Where name, but like, that's that's the vibe. It, that Anchorman he gives is for definitely sure. the vibe of all the like all the men from that movie are basically. Oh yeah that guy hitting on mary yeah (laughs) he's like maybe two decades away from telling her she has and i quote an astounding hiney (laughs) (laughs) right but it's funny but in the in psycho it's not funny it's like oh jesus this guy's really he lays it on thick and it's clear we don't like this guy we feel bad for her even i mean even the manager of the the so points for company like in the moral world he's so deeply uncomfortable yeah but um david kochner that's the that's who it is. Yeah. yeah that's I, I was but Rob Cordry kind of looks like him, so I get okay. confused sometimes. Yeah. Right? I'll give that to you. All right. Well, hold I, on. Hold on. Hold on. You've derailed, <laughs> you've derailed us. Oh, no. Oh, from... Yeah, I see what you're talking you about. See? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, All right. I'm done now. All right. Um, yeah, no so that, that whole deal goes down, but she resolves to uh, take the $40,000 in cash because that's going to solve all yeah, of their Yeah, they're debts. like, hey, go put the $40,000 in the bank. Um yeah. What is he saying? Well, oh yeah, because then she's like, okay, do you want me? Do you want to find out now? And he's like, no, I'll just check in on Monday. Yeah, because it's the week. It's about yeah, to be the Friday. weekend. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, I have a headache. I gotta go. Mm-hmm. And just dips. Yeah, she drives from Phoenix. Full of forty grand. Yeah, she drives from Phoenix to. She's on her way up to Sunnyvale. She didn't even hesitate. Too. Yeah. Like movie time. It's literally like, uh, stu- apartment back, pack bag, car home. Like mm-hmm. getting out of town. Gone. Yeah. yeah. And it's almost like, yeah, in, in, in the book, too, she talks about how she's kind of like, it's almost like she's been planning this for a long time, and it was just the opportunity presented. It so. kind of feels that way. Yeah. It felt that way to me. Yeah. Um, she goes on a road trip, uh, and on the way is stopped by that state trooper. I love the way that, that people react to, like, the cops in this movie. It cracks yeah. me up, because they're, they're constantly, like, getting interrogated. They're like, I'd like to leave now. <laughs> just the fucking cops dip. Like, 
Mm. Yeah, Norman does the same thing later whenever the when yeah. the guest comes by and he's like, I think you should leave now. I'm tired of talking to you. Yeah. And he's like, Well, I guess I gotta yeah. go. That always goes over well. Yeah. Well right? I'm gonna try that line next time I run. I think it's one of the like, good things about when about Psycho too is um so there's a lot of things that happen in the movie that are novel. One is like obviously we all know Marion dies, mm-hmm. but she dies like forty minutes into the movie. Yeah. And we spent yeah. forty minutes with her, we're like, What do we do now? Yeah. Yeah, who um, am I? The idea to, of killing off paying your, attention to now. But yeah, you kill off when, your main character halfway through the movie. I think like, when the movie released, we weren't entirely sure. Like it was a surprise to the audience that she mm-hmm. dies, and so it's kind of uh, it's kind of interesting because we don't know like where this is all going, but we're into mm-hmm. the story presented us. So our story is Marion is taking a bunch of money. She's on the run, and we're invested in that. And the tension for like the first 20, 30 minutes before we even meet Norman it's is so hyper focused on that. On point will she get alone. away with the money? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because it's a footnote in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's like a, an easy quarter of the whole runtime. Yeah, it's fascinating because, like I said, like, yeah, Hitchcock were... wasn't afraid to just throw everything out the window halfway through or something yeah you do have to give credit to block a little bit too because that yeah. is literally like the, the plot of the book functions is the exact same way okay um where it's like you know she goes in but it's like chapter three like it happens right at the very beginning uh and then yeah the rest is like is about investigating like first, but it's a great tension point because it is it, it's the it's reason a misdirection. she's gonna people are gonna go looking for it. i think this is like so it's like if it if it had been her without taking the money mm-hmm. and norman had killed her no one would know mm-hmm. and he would have gotten away with it i think this is yeah. like where you know notably like the fucking coen brothers get their whole playbook from it's like you know this whole idea of like a heist gone wrong like yeah. the story is never really about the heist it's about like all the other bullshit yeah. that happens yeah like, the ensuing aftermath right like think of like yeah, no country for old men it's like mm. God, this, I love that movie. yeah it's you know there's this like this magical like suitcase or whatever or even like tarantino like you know pulp fiction and stuff where like mm. there's this MacGuffin that everybody is chasing but that's not what the movie's about that they're yeah. like it's about all of the ramp the consequences of ramifications like a mystery unfolds but like we don't really care that much about the mystery it's really more just about the dude and all yeah. the other stuff we really just care about his rug yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's like, like brought the room together man. Um, <laughs> all the characters around him yeah yeah that's very that is very cohen um cohen cohen cohen-esque yeah cohen cohen coalesce very coinky yeah uh yeah she she pulls off uh of of the highway after making oh yeah she switches cars real quick that whole deal goes down with the can we talk about that we need to talk about the money behind that because what the hell well she trades in her car right Mm -hmm. right for a new car in a city she doesn't know she just rolls up to a random Mm -hmm. dealership because she knows, I think, because she's already been tagged by the cops once, so I think she gets the idea like, I better switch cars. Yeah, it's yeah, that same California state trooper. Plates. Yeah, yeah. Um, she wants a California license plate because she's from yeah. Arizona. Um, yeah, and that's another thing is like, so this this car salesman too. So she trades in her car and then plus seven hundred dollars to get a new car. Well, and the guy's like, okay, well, he's ready to haggle, and she's yeah. like, I don't give a shit. I'll take the first car. <laughs> yeah, give me the fucking car. He's like, well, he literally says like, well, that's the first time the buyer has ever rushed the like the seller. salesman. Yeah. yeah. It's like uh, just take the money, man. Yeah, just take it. Don't ask any questions. Uh, one Literally, thing as a cop is as the cop is watching her from like across, across the street. Her. Yeah, <laughs> like, what is, is it illegal to buy a car? Doing um, doing very <laughs> stereotypical cop things. Yeah, mm. he's got a oh man. What does he remind me of? There's another. There's a modern actor that he looks exactly like. This is uh, this is a thing about I mean, he looks watching. straight out of Super Troopers. Yeah, Super yeah, yeah. Troopers <laughs> like that. Um, one of the things everywhere just like shuddered a little. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that's interesting about like all of these sets and like all the costuming and stuff is that like, have you ever read about like how much uh, like research that Hitchcock does for his movies and stuff? I have not. There's this whole so he's he's an English. 
filmmaker, right? He's from he's Englishman. from the UK origi- originally, right? Mm. Um, and so yeah, he didn't grow up in you know the southwest of the United States. He doesn't have like a great conception of of what you know people look like or do. Right. So in the course yeah. of or making, what American police look like or do either. Yeah. So in, like, <laughs> I don't know. They do kind of just loiter outside their cars and menace people. That was pretty. No, accurate. I'm saying he did good. He did his yeah. research. <laughs> well, that's the thing is like he he goes through because and he has, fucking nailed it. Yeah, he sends off people to like literally go and take photos of like various car salesmen and yeah. secretaries mm. and like like um janet lay's entire costuming yeah. was pulled like from secretaries in the phoenix area like he went to various offices to see how they look in and what the they phoenix dress like area too. yeah it's funny because they say phoenix and i'm like i don't know it could be any town yeah it could be any like mm. i don't know yeah it, it didn't even look like western I to me or anything forgot. Like, yeah i just totally forgot that this starts in phoenix and ends in california yeah like, like that's yeah i always forget that's where they end in up. the u.s in my head yeah, but um, yeah. So like that car salesman, for instance, like he he like took photos of car salesmen within yeah. like California and was like, all right, that's what they look like. Let's make sure we get. She pays for that fucking car in cash. Seven thousand seven hundred in nineteen sixty, which is the equivalent of seven thousand dollars today. So it'd be like trading your car in plus seven thousand dollars to, um, to get a new Just one. Just because you didn't like the look of the. Yeah. I didn't. I don't. I'm sick of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, she's trying to take a. Uh, I I think it's it's explained in the movie, but like yeah, in the book, the idea is like she wants to like trade in a couple of cars and eventually get a junker and then drive up to meet Sam and stuff. And then she has this whole plan to explain like, which Sam doesn't know she's taking the money either. No. So there's the thing. It's mm. not a plan no. on his behalf. She's yeah. just like, I have a lot of money. Uh-huh. I think I can bail him out of his alimony and we can go get married or yeah. something. Yeah. There's this whole longer she's gonna show up on his doorstep. Yeah, he's going to love this. Yeah. Ton of money. She goes into this, and I think <laughs> which that's... is a negative moral decision. So we're like, Oh, she clearly hasn't in the yeah. movie. I'm like, I don't think she's really, thought this through she's just kind of doing it on a whim yeah she's very like there's a very impulsive element to it there's this whole thing in like the book where he's not really like it's not because he's divorced in the book it's like he has all these debts that he inherited from his dad um that he has to pay off it's like yeah it is he's a very that's why he's like stuck in, in that business, yeah, right? he's like, working he's, in that shitty sh- store. Yeah, he's stuck at the store, and he has, like, $3,000 left to pay off on, like, his dad's debts or something. And so her plan is to, like, show up with this money and tell him that she, like, got, she got like, a random inheritance from a relative or something because she's trying to, like, make sure he doesn't go back and talk to her sister or whatever. Um, it's much more convoluted, but it's it makes more sense, actually. Yeah, um, that sugar mommy. Yeah, right. But she eventually makes it to uh, – so she's driving, it starts raining, and she pulls off on the side of the road and lo and behold finds the Bates Motel which I, and everybody like it's a 1960s movie so like how scary can it really be but that sequence where like cars are coming at her and the rain is coming yeah I was like I was all in and I was mm-hmm. so nervous that is car stuff always freaks me out I'm like yeah. that car's gonna crash there's a thousand ways this car's gonna crash in a movie. Yeah. Actors take too long, watch, like talking to each other. And I'm like, they're gonna crash a car. Uh, yeah, no, I, and the same way, I, car crashes are weirdly triggering for me in movies. Like, I, oh, I survived a car crash, yeah, so I'm like, same. I have deep trauma with that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, Travis, you got pretty fucked up. Yeah, so I can uh, understand. Yeah, yeah. I, my whole family got into bad ones, so mm-hmm. yeah, it cuts no. deep. Yeah, I feel it. Um, yeah, so she pulls off on the side of the road, and we meet Norman Bates for the first time. Um, this whole opening sequence, right? Like, so the, the whole fake out, like. I think this was, uh, I mean, I've, I guess I've seen this like seven or eight times at this point, but I remember the first rewatch that we did uh, recently, I loved like setting up where I was like, I was like talking to Carter, like, do you remember what happens in this movie? Because like they do, they maintain the, the illusion for a while where yeah. she's like the voice of his mom is like coming from the house and stuff. And I do like, remember because the second time I watched it, I was like, all right, how did they, how did they make it look in the movie mm-hmm. so that we could believe at the end that he did it? Like mm-hmm. he plays both. Mm-hmm. And 
Because they have the image of her. Yeah, it's like him either dressed as his mother or something like the silhouette of the old lady is well, up and in like, the window. We hear her voice out yeah. loud, too. Yeah, he's a great voice yeah. actor. Well, because yeah. the body was <laughs> up in the window mm-hmm. until he moved it to the front right, cellar. Yeah. So that the silhouette was her mm-hmm. um, it was just until her. Norman started getting paranoid and yeah. shoved her in the basement. Yeah. Which is after, like, I think mm. the first or second murder. I don't remember. But I think it's after Arbogast. Yeah. Arbogast. Arbogast. <laughs> but yeah, he puts her in the room right next to the office. Uh, she signs in under a fake name. There's a whole, like, sequence of her trying to hide the money and stuff. She even, like, says her own, the wrong fake name yeah. when he's talking to her. Yeah, yeah I he, think she he gets, catches it later. Yeah, she gets lulled into, like, a, sol- a false sense of security. Yeah. Because he seems like such a... He's a charmer. I mean, he, he's he starts charming, off charming. But he also seems like he could not, like, he couldn't do anything to you. Yeah. He's, like, you know, infantile. Almost. Yeah. Like, he's, chi- like, a child. Yeah. In um, in the book, they, she says that he's very her, disarming. Yeah, in her conversations with him, whenever he starts sort of explaining his situation, um, she talks about how the fear of what she was experiencing before went away, went away, and she suddenly felt like seven feet tall again. Mm-hmm. In comparison, in juxtaposition to this man that she was dealing with, who was just so pitiful that she couldn't help but you know feel more confident about herself. Mm-hmm. Which, which fact check me on this, but. Um, feels like it goes along with the idea that a lot of uh popular ser- like historical serial killers were also kind of people that like flew under the radar we're like yeah i don't know if they either they were like all charisma or no charisma it goes mm. there's it's kind of all over the place uh, there's i guess like, that's an unfair observation yeah too the, much the ones that were flattening i think the human personality i think the big ones that we think of like like ted bundy and stuff there's a couple that like were supposedly very charismatic and very uh like but like the idea that they could disarm you with their personalities seems like yeah, a common trait to like me. Said, there's a couple but i think they're definitely like the exception All like right. the, other, the only other one big one that comes to mind is so like yeah like ted bundy or like like john Wayne gacy but technically mm-hmm. he was just hanging out with a bunch of cops the whole time right like it was like so it was like he was buddies with like fucking cops who right. were just yeah. bad at their job so it wasn't really that he was like you know charming or anything necessarily all right i have been it's just that cops are stupid i mean yeah it's not i I wouldn't say it's a yeah it's not a uh it's not like a hard and fast like rule either way but i think like especially in the case of people like Dahmer and ed gein like Mm -hmm. they're the ones who like they were outside extra societal like they were like in the movie they were so which is i think what's so interesting about having anthony perkins play this character where it's like it completely morphs like the the relationship that we have as an audience with like with this murderer um eventually and it's uh it's fascinating i think we talked about mm-hmm. anthony perkins for a second earlier but i do want to touch on quickly about his relationship with paramount did you do you know about this about I'm anthony not. perkins and his career and stuff <laughs> okay so anthony perkins uh especially at the time was was sort of notable like for being one of the few like openly right, queer like a, oh i didn't know that yeah he was one of the few openly homosexual actors like oh. in the uh in the industry or the studio um he had uh, a boyfriend that he dated from like 1955 to 1959 who was also an actor um tab hunter i think it was his name yeah he he was also an actor for paramount um and there was this huge issue with uh one of the big um like one of the main producers for paramount who like knew that he was gay and like had a huge problem with his like homosexuality and was constantly trying to get him to quit hanging out with tab hunter because they would like they would show up to stuff together they would like go mm-hmm. out and like do stuff together like all the time because they wow. were partners um and so the the producer, women that 
are gonna buy movie tickets yeah can't know that yeah they were like yeah. you need a girlfriend you need to go be hanging out with your co-stars in these movies because like well, this is a problem i think too so we're that... gonna cast you in a role where you fucking hate women <laughs> yeah you, that'll solve the problem yeah i'm sure at the time too they were like if you stop hanging out with the gay person you'll stop being gay well so that's like that's probably the studio, where their mind went the studio forced him to go through conversion therapy uh in the Jesus four years Christ. that he was still under paramount during 1955 from 1959 or uh, to 1959 um they constantly were trying to separate him from tab hunter uh even to the point of like like they brought him before like a studio board and stuff and he's like no i love this guy i'm not gonna fucking do it and they were like they were just stunned and he just like walked out of the Dude, office what? you can do that yeah um but eventually he did find a way to like essentially he was also getting typecast in these roles and stuff and as you know playing villains and, and everything like especially That's after this so role. interesting though because yeah. i feel like this is like tying into the precursor like the popular idea of like how they like uh, like the, you know, like he's a transvestite. Like this uh, alternate sexuality is deviancy kind yeah. of theme, mm. or it's, it's like evil. a meta narrative almost. Yeah, I mean, because Disney recapitulates this like over over again with like you know even their their animated characters and stuff. Right. right? The more villainous, the more effeminate they are. The more vi- villainous they are right. in a way, um, which right. goes all the way back to this era when it's like, yeah, Anthony Perkins literally was like, I keep getting cast. I've been I've been cut typecast as a villain. And I'm working for a studio that's first forcing me to try to go through conversion therapy. He eventually finds a way to buy himself out of his deal with Paramount, and he just moves mm. to France and starts acting in different like French movies and shit. Respect. Um, yeah, it's crazy, but like that is one thing I wanted to like touch on because it's like it's something that was completely that is an new to me. Story to share. Yeah, and yeah. I think it, it also like yeah when you watch this like I said Anthony Perkins is fucking amazing in this movie and obviously the whole movie relies on him, mm-hmm. um, but. I, I just thought that was interesting, as especially as a young actor at the time. Like he was like 27 in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. And like all three of us are older than that now. And I'm watching it. And I'm like, damn, dude. Like you're, yeah. yeah. This it's, dude was going through it. Yeah, in the, in the background while this shit's all right. going on. Yeah. Right. Damn. Um, but yeah, so he uh, meets Marion, and then they like uh, we have the the parlor scene, right, where they. Uh, get together and they have sort of like the soliloquy about like the birds and everything too mm-hmm. uh which has some of the most famous photography yeah. of the whole movie oh, it's so great um they talk about like and then like the allegories to like the the stuffed birds and everything being there and the stuffed owls on the on the walls yeah where he, um, calls, he, he says she eats like a bird yeah and then they frame it i had made a note of this they like frame him obviously there's an infamous frame of him like uh, from kind of underneath him but it's like this stuffed owl that's like mid-flight about to like fucking mm-hmm. kill something like behind him mm-hmm. which I, I i don't i mean fact check me again <laughs> i might go two for two but i thought birds like owls will also have been known to eat not just like mice but like smaller young birds yeah and stuff mm-hmm. too yeah totally so predators raptors thought that was like a visual relationship that they create early on mm-hmm. like heads up he's gonna be a killer and then he there's that little bit of foreshadowing where he says mom's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds she wouldn't hurt a fly exactly right? like, well she's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds because she's also been taxidermied yeah yeah uh, which doesn't say a whole <laughs> lot because one, yeah. <laughs> one of those stuffed birds is still pretty freaking dangerous yeah it's <laughs> fucking terrifying yeah um and then yeah very quickly like yeah the uh she they have their lunch and there's like that weird interaction she's kind of rubbed the wrong way and she goes off back to her room and uh yeah, he, yeah, he, bu- he makes her, her food. He like he's like makes her sandwiches. I've got and nothing milk. to do. Do you yeah. mind if I bring she's you sandwiches and milk? First red flag. He tries to like mother her. Mm-hmm. I think she also yeah. pi- like pokes at his. So they they talk about like being trapped. He's like mm-hmm. he says something about like oh we all have our own personal, personal traps, traps. Mm-hmm. which is it's kind of funny because he's talking about like his relationship sort of sometimes and then Marion relates because she she's feels that way trapped mm-hmm. with Loomis right. 
someone, then, you know. Yeah, and so then she kind of, like, wants to liberate him because maybe if she helps him get away from his mother, like, in her eyes, then she might find, you know, some respect for herself. And you cannot shit talk his mom because mm. then he'll kill you. Yeah. That is, like, the main theme. Like, spoiler, if you shit talk his mom, he'll kill you. Yeah, he, and it's funny that that's, like, what triggers him in the movie because, like I said, yeah, he, like, it, it is so much more about like his psychology and stuff. And I think there's yeah. like more nuanced and like a better version of that character. Um, but like, he, that's the thing I was like, man, I feel more pain for this character in that parlor scene than yeah. I have for Marion in a while. Yeah. Because like, all we have is her going out and she's like, as she's doing all the like, gaming it out, like how do I avoid the cops? Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is what they're going to say Monday when they walk into work. And he's like, like in the parlor scene, he's like, you know, he's like, we all have these traps and this stuff really drags us down, but Oh, I don't mind. Like, it's just the way it is. Like, I, I you know, I do find peace with where I live. Mm-hmm. Like so sympathetic. And do mm. you think, okay. So at this moment in the movie, um, I want to ask you guys, do you think that she has changed her mind whenever she starts doing like the calculations about how much money she spent before she goes and takes a shower? Ooh, that's so she sits like down. She sits. Point. She sits down and and balances like the checkbook essentially, mm-hmm. calculating how much money she spent and how much like she owes. She would have to owe back to like you know pay it off or whatever. This is a good question because there's like for me there's a difference between on paper and on screen. Mm-hmm. And like when we lay it out, when you lay the emotional math out, I think she does like objectively because she talks about how she's been trapped and she realizes that like. Uh, she learns from his example of being unable to escape this trap that, like, the right thing to do is confront what traps you and, like, deal yeah. with it head on. And then the figures, this is all on paper, like, the figures make it real. She's like, oh, yeah. I've spent this much money. But on screen, I kind of watched it and it was just like, I don't know, it feels like she's just, like, calculating money. Yeah. I and don't know. What do she, you think? She also rips up that paper and throws it in the toilet. That right. was one of the big uh. other censor scenes that they didn't want to have in the movie. <clears throat> They were they had because there's a toilet. Yes, exactly. They had a huge issue with there being a toilet and the idea that you were gonna flush it on screen. Yeah, even though there's nothing in it. I think they said it was like the first depiction of a flushing (laughs) toilet. People be pooping in these movies. They do be shitting in there. (laughs) Um, Ladies don't poop. Yeah, I have right. That's the only reason they have toilets is to flush papers down. down. Yeah, yeah. Not very well. School notes. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think she changed her mind? That's like. What do you think? I think she did because doesn't in one of her like driving scenes she kind of has an inner monologue about how she could just go back, doesn't mm-hmm. she? Yeah, yeah. She wants to turn around several times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say like, <laughs> yeah. In in the story, like she she has completely committed to her turning around at that point in the in the book. Yeah, uh, she has decided that she's that she does the same thing. She does the calculation. She she says, all right, I'm gonna owe this much money. I can pay it off in a couple of months. I'm gonna go home and be with Sam, and everything's gonna be okay again. And that's almost what makes it much more tragic. Well, about that's her what getting they murdered. Say. That's yeah, what I was just gonna too. say yeah. is that he she has this conversation with Norman. Mm-hmm. And it that probably is the the breaking point where she realized like <clears throat> I can't just run away from this trap. This isn't gonna fix it. Right. And then the next scene, that juxtaposition. Right. It's like she is very purposeful. She yeah. was cut down too mm-hmm. soon. Yeah. And when she takes the shower too, it's uh it, it is the biggest moment of it's, freedom for her. It's, it's she's cleansing. washing away. It's yeah. like a literal cleansing. exactly. Uh, which they I do say later me, in the movie. Yeah. It did take me. The first few seconds of her in the shower, I was like, "Why is she fucking enjoying the shower so much?" Because yeah. she's like smiling, <laughs> yeah. and, like looking, and I was like, "Okay, I, I see, I see what's going on here. It's a literal <laughs> cleansing. It's a baptism, exactly." Yeah, uh, but I was like, 
She's having I too wish much I fun was that there. happy when I it's take like a that, fucking does, shower. Does that shower head detach? I don't know. It's a that's one of well, the well. It, <laughs> it does because that shot looking up at the into oh, yeah. the stream of oh, water. Yeah, is Hitchcock had built a six foot large shower head because they didn't have the technology to do this otherwise. So they built a six foot large or six foot diameter shower head, blocked off the inner spouts. And put the camera through the stream of water, right? Because so that's that water the only way shooting on either side of the camera's yeah, lens. Yeah, so it doesn't touch the lens. Yeah. Because that's the only way they could figure out how to do that is to build a massive shower head. I love it. I love old timey yeah. movie tricks like that. It's they great. still uh, do some of that stuff though. Oh yeah, yes. like with, with miniatures or like they'll other do, forced uh, perspective stuff. Yeah, they'll do like glass plate stuff. So they'll yeah. just like uh, if you want to get the perspective of something, just put a glass plate in front of it, and mm-hmm. then. Um, you know, just like like we like you said with a shower, it's just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. just shoot the water out, and you're like, ah, ta-da, it's a shower. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they'll do it super cheap. I'm sure when Hitchcock did it, it was like novel and expensive and difficult. Yeah, well, I'm trying to imagine what actually. a six foot shower head. Looks well, they like. also shoot some, like really <laughs> expensive stuff. So you, you, the last thing you want is your camera near water. You're yeah, just like, yeah. this is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with how much cameras cost back then, imagine compared to now too. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and then we get the famous uh fucking murder scene. The murder. The scene. murder mm-hmm. scene with that amazing score by uh was it Howard Berman or uh, Bernard Bernard Herman. Berman Bernard Herman Bernard Bernard Herman Bernard Howard Vernon Bernard Herman Bernard Herzog. Yeah. This this fucking audio that violin screech that's been emulated for yeah. six, 60 years since. it's like so, such an yeah. iconic moment people who haven't seen psycho know psycho yeah They're like this is the especially thing. when you get to that scene you realize how iconic it is yeah you're like oh that's uh, that's where it came from yeah there it is and it's creepy like it, it, it's it, incredible yeah it's a scary moment like mm-hmm. there's something so scary about being in like like generally she had a body double for that scene i guess mm-hmm. and so she wasn't she, actually or so they say well okay yeah mm-hmm. uh Lee says she didn't have a body double yeah i don't know but like she talked about how when she saw it in theaters how like she was like yeah being she at your most take, vulnerable in she in, didn't want to take showers anymore yeah <laughs> she started taking terrifying. baths instead which you that doesn't really help. Yeah, yeah. but until the next that's movie. what she said. She didn't shower. Know, it makes anyway. sense yeah. to me. It's, it's funny weird. because there's a reverse quote where somebody had sent a letter to Hitchcock after um, Psycho came out, and they were talking about. They actually referenced Diabolique uh, in uh-huh. in the letter because in Diabolique, the French film, somebody gets murdered in a bathtub, I guess, and they said yeah. after my daughter watched. Daughter. Yeah, they're like after my daughter watched that movie, she was never she she refuses to take a bath, and now after watching your movie, she refuses to take showers. And he wrote back and he said, "We'll take her to the dry cleaners." Yeah, <laughs> I was waiting like, for that to come up. Such a classic hitchcock move like this will be funny but also like kind of being a dick on the slide but also why why are you letting your traumatized daughter watch these films yeah she has other issues apparently i don't know that's such a that's such a long debate like any movie you go into you're always like why is there a child in this and it's such a Uh such a varied answer Yeah, especially at the time though like with the radio yeah 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 your child probably should i don't know i kind of want to raise kids on horror movies is that weird it i I don't, I don't actually. Know. Okay, I don't know. Caveat, I don't know where I, I land on that conversation. Don't currently actually. want to raise kids at all. Yeah. But were I to have a child, I would. Mary Kate is like you're such an idiot. I would raise them on some really classic stuff, and they would hate me. That's the thing. Is like yeah, they you can never me. make them. It's like making no your kid tales. play baseball. Yeah. No. But there would be child 
appropriate and very quality content that would also Fair. happen to be just legendary. You should stuff. make like a curated list. A friend of, of mine, of a child friendly Criterion yeah. uh, collection. A friend yeah. of mine used Somebody's to screen all already. the Beatles films for his uh, young kid. He was like, mm. "Hard Day or uh, Yellow Submarine is fantastic for children. Oh, like, I bet. It's a great time, and they love that music, and it's a great way to hook them on the Beatles." Anyways, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I, my brain yeah, is so it far just away from super fun. Yeah. Uh, but your kid isn't going to realize that it's because they're all on acid. Yeah. Right. But like, that's a fun story you can hang on to later and then like ruin their childhood <laughs> when they're older. Yeah. That's like, you're holding on to that for 20 years, mm-hmm. like so 25 hits. And you're like, you by the way, remember your favorite movie as a kid? They're like, yeah. You're like, yeah, it's because of acid. Yeah. <laughs> it's most, most things. Right. But yeah, psycho, true. not so much. Yeah. No, I don't know how much acid was involved in the making of psycho. I don't, I, Probably I don't surprisingly know. little. I don't think they had it back then. That's the 1960s. They of course they had it. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I get well, 1960. I, it's 1960. So somebody had it. Yeah. I don't know. That's a different podcast. I don't, I don't think that's Hitchcock's vibe. We're yeah. so far off the mark. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, uh, Marion gets murdered. She gets murdered. Uh, and then so, so begins the second half of this plot, right? Uh, first, we get Norman's like disposing of the body where we get his... like. It's so methodical. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. Honestly, my note was like, this is taking forever. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, he thinks the whole thing through. It is very like... I mean, the, the way it's written, too, is like is very, very like meticulous and that's sort of like the whole refrain is him going back to being like well i can't let anything happen to mother um Mm because even in yeah even in the novel they they maintain the illusion until the very end the idea that like even the way like his monologue with himself and the idea like in the book he goes back to the house and he he goes to her room but she's not there so he thinks that she's like wandering around the house or at least from the unreliable narrator perspective that they put in the book like Mm -hmm. we're like oh did she is she wandering around out there somewhere and he goes through and burns their clothes and disposes of the car in the swamp and stuff um it is yeah it's, it's really creepy and very methodical um and then we start the whole second side plot with uh, the detective and with uh, sam loomis and Crane. yeah arbogast mm-hmm. uh what a great character too i don't know i liked i was very i was pleased by him him and the sheriff too uh the sheriff sounded like that one guy from that clip uh oh my god what movie is that it's the i saw a cow outside so cow farm there's gonna be cow oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what he sounds he's just like. like convinced that nothing like yeah ain't nothing, nothing happening well, that's time. kind of the point too right is it's like technically wherever the Bates hotel is it's a smaller town mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. I, I was at a funeral i know i know norman i'll yeah. just call him yeah. up right now which like, i mean that's straight up Plainfield. right it's exactly what happened at mm-hmm. too like they weren't that's why it took them so long to go to his fucking house yeah and find the lampshades made of human skin because <laughs> they're like well they probably missing somewhere yeah. on the hunting trip. You yeah. know, there was an just, accident or something. Back in the, in the good old days when you just let people be. Soft yeah. pitch. Right. Like they didn't yeah. find it until there was literally a trail of blood out of the hardware store. Yeah. That's what it took. Like, okay, <laughs> let's follow the blood. <laughs> we'll find this fucking guy. Soft yeah. pitch, though. You open up a, uh, it's not real human skin, but like a human skin themed antique store and call it Geen's Antiques. That's got to be a thing already. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is. Yeah. If not in play, like if not in Wisconsin, somewhere else. Like, but you, know, like you said like, hum- like human skin lampshades. And I was like, I wonder if they go good with like the cream colored walls or. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you have like a neutral palette. Yeah. Here, let me, depends on the skin. Let me bring up my yeah. Pinterest board. Yeah. Um, so Sam, I do want to say before we move on to Arbogast, <clears throat> when he disposes of the body, puts it in the trunk of the car, right? Pushes it into the marsh. Yeah. And it slowly starts sinking. And then I immediately think of how X hearkened back to us. Oh, yeah. Because it stops sinking and it looks like it's still going to be exposed. And then it's exactly 
they have that car in the pond in X. That right. is a psycho reference. Partially submerged. Yeah. Like, it, like they tried to, like uh, Pearl tried to hide right. the body of whoever she kills, which we'll find out in Pearl. Yeah, right. Um, and it doesn't sink all the way. Which yeah, like, um, X is X is uh, is cop, kind of copying or like homaging Psycho, um, but Psycho. One of the reasons we talk about like why he does this, like it's so long. It's an hour and forty minute movie. You could easily cut out ten minutes of him oh, like, yeah. rolling up carpet and like disposing of her body, the shower curtain. But it's a it's a moment of tension because you're you've been trained to look at all the clues she leaves behind, mm-hmm. like the 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 shred of paper she tries mm-hmm. to flush, uh, the, even like the cash in. The newspaper was a big one because he like cleans this whole thing up and you just see a newspaper, but she has four like thirty nine thousand dollars in it. Yeah. And you don't realize like you're like, Oh my god, he's gonna miss it and someone's gonna find that money when they go looking for her and then they'll go looking for her. And it's like he goes through the whole process before finally like the last thing he does is grab the newspaper, doesn't clock the money, throws it in the trunk. So he is neither richer nor oh wiser. Oh my god! The dramatic irony in that fucking scene. But the whole thing, and so the car not sinking, like sinking halfway and then pausing, is part of the dramatic tension. Is you're mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe it's not gonna sink, and he has to yeah. deal with that too. Yeah. And then it does, and he's like eating his little treat, smiling like mm-hmm. I did it, good job. Mm-hmm. Because the tension in the Which, rest of the movie is yeah. him avoiding being caught. Right. Yeah. And so. Now, and they're all convinced he did it because of the money, mm-hmm. which is a very is so hilarious. Like, <laughs> us trying so to watch good. Norman get away with it is a very common Hitchcock theme. Is yeah. like we know something about one character that mm. none of the other characters do, mm. and it's that sensation you want to scream at the at the at like the movie. You want to be like, "It's him! He's the one who did it." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and which Arbogast knows that. He yeah, he finds he catches on pretty quickly. He's a PI. He I has love to, like, I love that interrogation. Do I have to get a warrant? Arbogast yeah. tears him apart in so many ways. You're yeah. like, yeah. it's so obvious. And that's and then Perkins' performance in that too, like, like he candy the corn. way yeah the way he starts like breathing <laughs> fucking candy corn. I <laughs> love candy corn. That's like, my oh, fuck. oh dude oh, that was God. my my letterbox review for this movie <laughs> is that that's the giveaway. Yeah, they should have known he was absolutely deranged. You know he's a psychopath. Yeah. He's sitting on the porch eating candy corn. <laughs> Arrest him. Arrest him right corn. now. I could do that. That's wax. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a serial killer. Sunday scare. Arrest this man. Ooh. <laughs> um, yeah, he. Arbogast shows up. Yeah, the interrogations between him and and, uh, and Norman are fantastic. The Anthony Perkins portraying like his steadily like you know his, his story starts to break down as as he gets. It's you, a great. Yeah, and he starts because, like stammering. And yeah. You can just tell he's being torn. Like his two realities are being torn. Yeah. And it's it is. It's brutal to watch. Yeah, because he still he tries to main, maintain be be folksy still yeah. throughout the entire thing, and he's still trying but to be like. But then he's like a little too fo- like he's leaning into it a little too much. Like I'm just yeah. dumb, and I don't know, you know. I yeah, don't, yeah, yeah, We don't get many visitors. He's like, I wasn't paying attention at all. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think like it's one of those great tension scenes because we know he did it. Arbogast doesn't know he murdered her, but he knows something's off. And you're like, Arbogast, we know Arbogast knows, but we know that Norman is a killer. Yeah. And you just want to yell at Arbogast, like, go on, go get help. Like, yeah. get, get the out. Warrant right you now. have enough to go yeah. back and figure this he out. Failed. Norman failed the vibe check. No. <laughs> <laughs> Arbogast was the arbiter of vibes. Yeah. <laughs> 
Nice. All right, you get your comedy it point is back. Not a vibe. <laughs> your backup one. Yeah, I just love his name, Arbogast. It's a great fucking name. Whose yeah. name is Arbogast? If you're an Arbogast and you listen to this, please. I need to know. Is the, There's got to be some Arbogast. Is the detective's out name there. in the book Arbogast? Uh, yeah, it's the same name. Arbogast. How did Block come up with that name? I don't know. He's just like, all I right, bet and the an cop anagram. will be named. He lived really close to Ed Gein. You know that Arbogast. in Wisconsin, right? Yeah, he was actually like Robert 30 Block miles. Did? Yeah, he was like oh, 40 shit. miles away from him. I'm going to look up where he's from. Yeah. Um, probably been there too. <laughs> probably. But uh, yeah, and then. You uh, had serial killers. Arbogast gets promptly. Yeah, he's from well, Wisconsin. We would drive dude. through Plainfield on the way to where we hunted in Pittsville. Okay. And then we would be driving like on a Friday night after school. The sun would go down. My dad's driving. Just Ooh. me and dad in the truck. We drive through Plainfield. It says that there's thing? the hardware there store. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We do that in Waco when we pass by the, uh, oh, the grounds. Oh, yeah. The Koresh compound. The the, the Branch Davidians. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's just every... I was there last weekend and nobody knew what it was. Like, really? I was making friends with out-of-towners and I was like, yeah, this place is great. A bunch of people did a standoff with the ATF for 10 days and then got... <laughs> and, and then, then they, got, they all like died. Brutally burned you know that image of a tank like... trying to roll over a church? That's here. Yeah. And they're they were like, like, we're here for uh, Chuck and... Or whatever yeah, the fuck. Chip Magnolia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, wait, what? I was like, oh, yeah, you can Google it. It's super famous. I just David buy Koresh, furniture. How much does Easy. Waco try to suppress that shit? Do you think they're trying to like themselves from I mean, that i was there, at, i was there I last like weekend some it's point, synonymous though. with the name of the town at some except, point they'll lean back into it i mean probably yeah I guess. right I except know. it's like i guess it's now it's just relegated to texas history yeah so it's like only texans really kind of hang on to that oh like God. anyone out of state Which, like every state I mean, has their own history right yeah so like yeah. we don't know the tragedies but of, texas is history. yeah honestly like right. uh, growing up I didn't hear about that shit much at all. Right. Yeah, but Wisconsin. It, and then I moved down here. And I'm like, this is a whole thing nobody was talking about. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if people, yeah. people know about this. Like I knew vaguely of the Davidians and like what went yeah. down and like had heard David Koresh's name a couple times. Right. But then I moved here and I was like, oh, there's, this went a lot deeper yeah, than I thought it really did. happened. Yeah. yeah. That or like the uh, the UT sniper. That's always the thing when that like we oh, never yeah. talk about <laughs> that is like not as it's not as well known. But yeah, it's also just darker. dark. Yeah. So dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now it's just every school you drive by. Anyway. Um, so, but yeah. So, Abagask is promptly murdered by uh, Norman slash right. Norman's mom. Uh, this is where I think where we get maybe like the most Hitchcockian sequence right. cinematography well, wise. Well, Abagask is the first one to go into the house. Yes. We finally see inside the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's the classic, like, it's the, it's the it's house. The haunting. Yeah. The haunting. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's like mm-hmm. the architecture yeah. of all of these houses is exactly the same. Because I guess, for one thing, they're probably very conducive towards to, to filming. Um, you got to have it upstairs. Yeah. yeah, you have to have a staircase right in front of the front door. Yeah. Um, Damn, I, I believe they recreated that. that house. And when you go like tour the studios, yeah, you Universal Studios, you can see it. Yeah, because oh. I remember trying to find out if it was like an actual location you could go to, mm-hmm. like it was, if it was offset. But yeah, it was manufactured for the filming yeah, of the movie. The tour. Yeah, they built the motel and stuff, but. Yeah, you can go visit it at Universal Studios. Um, I wonder if they use it? that if we house go to for the LA other ones. in November. Yeah, when we are you guys going to LA? Those, we might go in November. Yeah, I bought some random tickets to see Algernon Codwallader play a reunion show. Yeah, uh, I think whim, we're going in October. On a whim, and uh, just miss him. We might go. You should do that. It's on the yeah. docket. Apparently, we might we might also go to New Orleans in November. You should so. definitely yeah. do that one. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. There's a lot of plans. Do it. It's Anyways, of, um, so subscribe August, to the Patreon. Abigail <laughs> <laughs> gets married. Uh, My murdered. Venmo is at time. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, <laughs> He's getting married soon. Please. Come yeah, on, please guys. Send help. this man some money. Uh, 
And then after the Abergus murder scene, Norman disposes of his body, and then we're kind of just with, left with Lila and Sam. And they go off, and they try to uh, chase down uh, Abergus. They think he's he's absconded with right. So Mary's sister, it, like Mary, doesn't show up to work. So obviously, it's like a couple days after that, mm-hmm. and you know they're looking for, like. Arbogast is trying to get the money. He's a private detective hired to track down the money and buy mm-hmm. by uh, Buck Strickland, the wild cowboy, the mm-hmm. Dallas uh, rich guy. But Marion's sister is really just worried about her about her sibling. So she finds uh, Sam Loomis and kind of like partners up with him. And so then they go to the Bates Motel yeah. after Arbogast doesn't check in. Because he, he meets with them. He's like, I'm, mm. I'm going to find out the truth. Because everyone thinks Sam yeah. Loomis is in on it, too. They're like, $40,000 goes yeah. missing. Yeah. That's she's why the sister drove guy. there. Yeah. She's like, he's gonna, she's going to be there. Like, so, hold up at the shop. Yeah, yeah. So, like, contextually, Sam Loomis is under the gun. The detective goes out to the Bates Motel because it's the last. Well, he just checks all the hotels. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, she must have stayed the night somewhere. And then catches him. But he's like, you know, he calls back. That's one of the funny things is we know Sam is, like, caught. Uh, Norman in a lie and Norman doesn't kill him immediately so you're like oh thank god he's gonna go get help and he gets on the phone calls um, uh, Sam and then uh, what's the sister's name Lila Lila and tells him like oh I got something I need to check out yeah. uh, if I don't check in I'll be I'll meet you back in an hour yeah so obviously he doesn't make it <laughs> and they're they're like Oh shit, we gotta go find him. And he kind of tells him, like, at the Bates Motel, this weird guy named Norman's kind of. Uh, something yeah. about him I don't trust. Feel the vibe, Chad. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Robert Block lived in Milwaukee for a while. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, he, like I, I said, he was really him. close by. Nice. Um, yeah, they, they go off and we get these great sequences with uh, Sam interrogating Norman. And these, those are the most intense, like, I think that's where the tension is the highest, like, yeah. Yeah, between the two of them, where he just like like sam is not letting down like it's he's like each not character that yeah. meets I mean, norman but he also yeah. he like implies that he's gonna like, i'm gonna go distract him you go look in the house right and he immediately goes like super toxic like gives it away that he knows something what you up. doing bro yeah yeah he's like what are you gonna do you gonna be in a new he's hotel like, weird like about forty thousand dollars worth of motel flexing on him yeah and it's like, Dude, okay whatever. yeah and sam but is kind of like he uh, yeah. loses his cool like very quick yeah yeah to be fair, he thinks his uh, his partner's been kidnapped, I guess, and so he's a little he's a little but, heated up and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, and then watching Anthony Perkins like Norman Bates like start to break down, like uh-huh. the way his jaw is clenching as he's trying to like yeah. answer the yeah. questions because he hasn't been confronted like that up until this point. He's mm-hmm. been getting pressured on and on and on. Yeah, it's, it's probably been about twelve. But it wasn't hours so total. violent. Yeah, now it's know? outwardly like, like Arbogast yeah. was yeah. like kind of fucking with him a little bit. Yeah. But Sam, it's like very pointed mm-hmm. in your face, like yeah. masculine. Mm-hmm energy yeah you see what happens when like he's getting backed into a corner at that point mm-hmm. right and then literally yeah, yeah. yeah he's like come at me bro mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he fucking smashes a like a pot on his head and yeah. then tries to make off once he finds out that they, lila's in the yeah, house yeah so then they go mm-hmm. oh so he distracts him and lila goes inside the house to look for the uh oh yeah because they all think the mom is there right Arbogast tells him like oh, i need to go interrogate this mother she probably yeah. knows something so they're all looking for the mom to try to talk to her to figure out what's going on big reveal yeah. lila's goes down to the cellar her mom their mom is oh i said that wrong um norman's mom is a desiccated corpse not like a skull and bones but like a husk of a body yeah, uh, yeah somewhat mummified like he right treated it there's some yeah as best he says he treated it or, yeah yeah she's been um, yeah cured and then she's about to get murdered mm-hmm. because Mama when she whips around, ta-da, Norman 
in like a old timey old maid gown with a wig with her on. bonnet on yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> with a knife ready to go about mm-hmm. to cut another throat he goes in for the kill sam loomis Stops him at the ten yard line. Sam to the rescue. And for better like, or worse. Awkwardly grapple. Yeah. Yeah. It seems That's... as if like as soon as he like gets the dress off of him, like he like his loses powers. his powers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably a better explanation. I thought it was just like really bad stage choreo like fight choreography. Yeah, it's probably a combination I, of I was it. like, it feels like they just told yeah. the actors like, Okay, now wrestle and they were like, yeah. Okay, but we're not gonna hurt each other. And they're so like, they now do it, it for longer. Poorly. Build the tension. Yeah. No, keep going. Yeah. And they're like uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Wrestle the knife. He's like wrestling the knife away from him and it's just kind of holding his arm out for like a and little like, bit. If we're going to be honest, uh, Loomis would beat the ever loving shit, shit out of him. Out of probably. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he's kind of, Norman Bates is kind of a, like a, he's a thin guy. He's a tiny I mean, little yeah, he's a, like he put up a fight. A, yeah. fight. That's the point though, is he has to get him by surprise. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the we cut to the psych ward, I guess, or whatever he's right. being held. So then, and then, so then they catch Norman, yeah. and everything is. And he has we get that completely long... reverted to his mother state. Yeah, yeah. he like... goes. He seems to be like going back and forth, but like without control over it at all mm-hmm. within like the holding cell that he's in. And we get the long monologue from the psychologist, who kind of like sums everything up for everybody. Um, he's the not a included. transvestite. Yeah, he just has a bifurcated personality yeah. centered around trauma so thorough that it is essentially one has taken over the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a direct quote. He uh, <laughs> and we get to that. Nailed we cut it. to that famous like I think. Why like, are we? Why have you been podcasting for so long? Yeah, right. <laughs> the uh, the thumbnail for uh, for this movie is always this final shot that zooms in as Norman is having his like internal monologue with his mother. Oh um, yeah. Or as his mother, where it's just he's him got the smiling. Yeah. Wrapped around him. Yeah, he's smiling directly at the camera with that mm-hmm. weird then, fucking look in his eyes. Did you notice? I'm sure you've already, you've seen it a bunch of times, but when they like fade from his face to the last shot of the movie is the car. Mm-hmm. Is there's like it's his mother's skull? Yeah, imprinted yeah. over his very face. briefly. Yeah, like that mm-hmm. was very. Well, it was nuanced enough. Yeah, and it's yeah. terrifying. If it's you look at a freeze frame of it, it is dis- uh, like I would be terrified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's looking right into camera too, so it's one of those things where like you know he's look like where you move, he's kind of watching. He's got that mm-hmm. Mona Lisa effect. Mm-hmm. It's deeply unsettling. That's mm-hmm. like the the greatest shot of him, like the greatest shot of the movie, like OG him with mm-hmm. his head bowed a little bit, like giving a big old smile. Mm-hmm. It's the one that gets used, yeah, for like, like I said, the thumbnail yeah. for like this movie. I'm pretty everything. sure I have like a folder of just movie stills. That's my like computer, but like background, and that's one of them probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that's Psycho. It's one of, like I said, one of the best movies that's ever been made. So that is Psycho. bananas. Yeah, or as they called it in 1960, Psycho. Yeah, freaking amazing. Um, there's some other horror movies coming out soon, though. Uh, did you guys watch the new trailer for Pearl? I did, I did this morning. Yeah, dude, what do you think? I stylistically i love it yeah how you know they're trying to harken back to like her it's almost it would probably timeline wise be a similar era like 60s ish yeah i guess like they're kind of going so. for yeah yeah um where she's like right i guess it would have to be world war ii era, era yeah because that's what she's i remember she has she a was thing. she would be like in her late 80s when they when the when x happens which is what 70s 80s yeah Late set. Let's say late. I just 70s thought that World War Two played yeah, a role. It does so have to be. Subtract like yeah, fifty four, like fifty sixty years off. No, that. so yeah, it's probably what just post World War Two something yeah. like that. Yeah, I think that seems. I saw she says right because her husband came back from World War Two. Yeah, right. The way they stylize it yeah. is very like is what the movies from that era kind of how you were mentioning. Yeah, it's very bright and nobody has any problems and she's right. gonna be a star. Like the way the color. 
the palette is like crazy. It's incredible. Yeah, I got I got like f- huge uh, big fish vibes. Like the, mm-hmm. talking about Guillermo del Toro. Like that's a yeah yeah. Like the like you said, the palette it's just so oversaturated and like yeah. brightly colored. It's so it's so different from X. Mm-hmm. I was like, how do they film these at the same time? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think I just it's wasn't kind prepared of the for the trailer to come so soon. Yeah, I, like part of yeah. me was still like living in in like exit still. Like when did still I, a thing. how long ago this was year? That? It was March, I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, what but, six months ago? Yeah. yeah, but you have to do the math. Is like if they did the movie relatively close to COVID time, then it would have been done a year ago. Like, yeah, it would have been done a year yeah. and a half ago. Well, and they were realistically, so he had a year to do more. Right. It's just that these two like releases are actually kind of close to each True. other. True, and so at. I was talking about Pearl at band practice earlier, and Nick, the guitarist, said, I don't know if we caught this, but there's a post-credit scene in X. Oh, there is, but we harkens, didn't stick around. harkens to Pearl. We so talked like, about they this. they already, this was all way Yeah, they pre-planned. set it up already. Yeah. Yeah. So oh. some of that shit might have already been We did kind of works, mention yeah. that we skipped out on, an, on a post-credit scene. because yeah, we I were forgot about kinda, that. We all had to pee. Yeah. Yeah. I was, was, was drinking a lot of beers dance. that night. We yeah. tried. I remember Tyler and I waited around a while before we were like, Ugh. "Yeah, I went straight <laughs> yeah. to the bathroom. I was, I was out of there." But uh, no, I'm yeah, excited I'm though. It looks fucking stoked. It looks, that. yeah, it's just her. Like the trailer's just her murdering a bunch of animals and shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid the trailer gives away too much, but I'm hoping that there's still some, I mean, some stuff knew. in there. That the alligator origin gonna story that's, was going to be in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the yeah, I knew as soon as I saw that, I'm like, Travis is going to be stoked about that gator. <laughs> I feel like uh, to the like the market, like you said, like the marketing of this stuff. It's so interesting because uh, you don't need to see X to see Pearl. That's no. my impression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's one of those things where they're kind of selling it. Like, hey, you remember X? We're going to explain some things. Yeah, and so it's interesting to see the marketing of it. It's a cool being I, like tangential to X instead yeah. of being like here's just another horror movie because here's what's gonna mm-hmm. happen and I guarantee you all like all our friends who like horror movies but don't go out to theaters often will be like oh I was waiting for X to go on like streaming or something and then never see it because maybe they, it didn't get the release date right and then Pearl comes out and they're like I think I saw a headline isn't it related to that one movie with like the alphabet letter that came out like how are they making two <laughs> movies in one year like mm-hmm. that is the exact conversation I'll have with someone I'll be like okay. All right, I, I care a lot about this stuff, so yeah. let me explain to you the exact <laughs> timeline of Ty West's filmography. How much time do you let have? Let me mansplain this to you really quick. It's, okay. it's <laughs> not a mansplain if it's one man to another man. I guarantee okay. it. It's gonna be a weird. I don't know. Like I, I, I'm fascinated by how like that's gonna turn out like a year or two from now too. Whenever those movies are just held next to each other, it's just a weird backwards way to make like. I mean, I've seen we've seen prequels get made before, but it's just yeah. like the phenomenon of the like that this specific movie being like it was because it was announced before X even came out that it was right. gonna have a prequel or whatever i guess at mm. the end of the day yeah. it's it's just a good horror movie yeah it's gonna be fun i'm excited there's a lot of like yeah she stabs a fucking like goat or goose or something at one point it's that same fucking pitch yeah it's dude. that one she's yeah she does lift, the, see they lift the pitchfork pitch origin story they talk about the alligator yeah. there's all the marketing the car. Yeah, yeah all the marketing you're like oh this is like remember x we're gonna yeah. get we're gonna explain it and i'm like okay but is maybe would it be better if they marketed it as like an original horror right We'll find out. I yeah. guess we'll find oh, out with the, money, with the money. See where it lands. Yeah, see how I guess much so. it makes. Uh, did you see the... I think the trailer for Smile was in the showing for Nope, right? Or was it for something else? Do you remember this trailer? Mm, that may have been the one on your list that I don't think I or, saw. Yeah, I think we saw like a teaser when we saw X, but I showed. I think I showed Daniel the full trailer you earlier. You showed it's, me, yeah. It looks fucking terrifying. Like, that movie, I don't know. 
I don't know. I'm worried that they gave everything away in the trailer. Yeah, they might have. In a way that made it like I'll still I got it's, I would see anything, no mm-hmm. question. But in a way that I'm like, oh yeah, I did see that before. Mm-hmm. Like, oh uh, yeah, this is that's what's gonna happen. Mm, I think it was in the um, the previews or note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I was trying to get. I think um, so. Mozzarella sticks at that time. So <laughs> I don't think I was paying slightly attention. busy. Those sticks are dope, though. They no are. Lie. Every single time I go to the draft house, man, I get Mozzies. Uh, I will say <laughs> you find Mozzies. He he does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the quality has gone down slightly since on COVID. your mozzarella sticks. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, that's they interesting. Have, but it's still, you know, there's still it's mozzarella sticks. Yeah, Got to get that vegan yeah. burger. It's hard to have some a bad that mozzarella. That Beyond sticks. Meat burger is one of my faves. I mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I always get a pretzel too. Yeah, you seem like a pretzel kind of guy. Yeah, they they forgot my cheese sauce last time. That one was pretty brutal. <laughs> they forgot I my eat entire whole pretzel with mustard. Yeah. Normally you like alternate some bites, you know, right. you get the sweet and savory. Yeah. When we went to go see Nope, they forgot my entire order of mozzarella sticks. I saw Nope at an Jesus AMC because I was in Waco. Um, and so we, we did like the big, big like AMC, like comfort couch screening. Oh, like mm-hmm. lost. Oh, it was beautiful. Take me back. <laughs> Take me back AMC to that is glorious built moment. on the plot where the branch of video Cup. Yeah. <laughs> Funny you should mention it. I was actually locked into that AMC for 10 days while the ATF waited Jesus for me. Christ. <laughs> Um, do you remember the so yeah we talked about the trailer for uh, the menu yet? Uh, uh, we, we, have, we haven't talked also, about it on the podcast. Yeah, I, because I wasn't paying attention to the smile trailer. Jesse Usher is yeah. in A Train's in there. A Train. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. I love seeing TV actors branch out and do uh, like um, genre film. Yeah, that's a weird because it gives them room to play. Like yeah, they're going to do something fun. If we can harken back to an earlier episode, Kyle Gallner, um, from Haunting in Connecticut. Oh shit! Is um, in Smile as well. Hey, look at that. Hey, good to see. It him all comes together, right? There. It's all tied together. Yeah, they're having these like... full circle. It's almost like they're paid actors. Yeah. <laughs> that should be. Yeah, it's almost I don't know, like man. they work in an industry. Yeah. together, and they have a notoriety for doing horror movies. <laughs> we saw Nope again on IMAX this week, and yeah, that trailer popped up on like an IMAX trailer for it. We were mm. sitting next to like the perfect people that were like jumping and reacting Losing to everything that was happening. And the trailer for Smile came out, and yeah, the very end of that trailer was just fucking jarring. Like it's a yeah, jump scare looks, that catches you off. Yeah, but heard, like I'm excited for it. I heard it, people yell around me. Same thing though. Kind of worries me is like, did they blow their load in the trailer? Yeah, I don't know. I feel there like there could be a twist in there that we we're I don't, aware of. I don't think. Like I don't, we, they don't tell us what the gimmick is. Yeah, right? I have no we conception of what the scary. It seems, but to that have final a, bit seems like a yeah, it's some sort of psychological. I don't know. It has like it follows vibes to response. me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Like there's like a curse that's chasing people. It like, do be following. Do yeah, following. Um, and then the menu comes out soon. Yeah, the Ralph Fiennes, yeah. Anya yeah. Taylor Joy, yeah. Nicholas Holt. Yeah, Nicholas Holt. I love that, Nicholas Holt. That just looks like a fun movie. I'm like trying yeah. to figure out how to talk about this movie without talking about the bear. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, that shit. haute yeah. cuisine world, though. Uh-huh. It's that, that fancy Everything food just world. like reference to the bear. It's yeah. a hot That's bear like, summer. Yeah. This, is, this, this is the bear cast now. Yeah. Yeah. We're <laughs> don't worry about it. I will. Yeah, I, chef. We could do another We're going to do the bear cast. Yeah. Uh, the bear cast. Yeah. We're going to do the it'll be Le, on Patreon. Le Menu, as I call it in my head, because yeah. I'm like, Haute Cuisine, Ray Fine, Ralph Fine, and Nicholas Holt. Like, of course, Le it's going to... It's the, men, the menu, but... I sense it's going to have, menu. like, like uh, the... 
it, it seems like ready or not to me kind of honestly like it's going to be like ralph fine's going and like hunting people or whatever to yeah, make like, going yeah. full unhinged yeah to yeah. do his new or like it's going to be part of the menu is like it's, whoever it's like gets caught or so, yeah something thing. like yeah, that. yeah that's that's kind of what i took out of it they i don't, also they don't give any of that away no i felt like i caught on to right. like the ideas of like the pressure of the kitchen like or the haute cuisine world like is murderous yeah whether you work in the kitchen or mm-hmm. are like part of the ecosystem of it all yeah you're a critic it like is cannibalistic and it's like you they you destroy right it, like, the industry the, cannibalizes kind of itself yeah exactly right. of the whole thing. you put it a yeah. lot better than i did but. Yeah. which so thematically i'm very attracted to this movie because no, i'm awesome. like oh it seems like they've got like something they really want to say and this is a really cool world i don't think has truly been like that deeply explored in the way that this is going to go like full blast. But what mm. I said earlier was like with the photography of the food and stuff. Right. Like, it's like the Netflix chef's table, but like let's make it a horror movie. But I yeah. do think <laughs> that is kind of the like part of that's the thing I look forward to, too, is the way that um, the, the quick inserts we have of all this really fancy food is mm-hmm. that like perfectly framed. It's almost like like uh, like the way that they um, appre- it's like oppressive almost like yeah. it has to be exactly this way starting to border on like manic energy of like yeah. the camera is like itself like just like focus like whoever's so holding the cameras perfectly. also has a knife to their throat like right yeah. <laughs> or, yeah or like that they are pressuring them like they're holding their own knife to their throat yeah. it's like this shot has to be exactly like they might have measured the centimeters yeah because that's what it is in like food like that it's down in the millimeter right like it's yeah. it's crazy tweezing um yeah i'm excited for those that, sh- that should be really should awesome be yeah. yeah if you have any thoughts on those trailers that are coming out please let us know in comments on uh, instagram uh, and stuff oppenheimer as well dude which I was re-watched. not much for a trailer yeah, even it's when a I like when I search it's for it, away. it's a teaser. Like it's gonna yeah. be a minute. But I, <clears throat> you know, I love that whole mythos surrounding yeah. um, the Manhattan Project and Oppenheimer. And I think, like, even just based on the teaser, I think they're gonna do it as much justice as a film of that budget can do it. Um, yeah, as far as like concerning Oppenheimer and like the the moral just struggle that he goes through during yeah, this time. They seem to be handling the idea of like, you know, him he, realizing he, and, what the fuck he just did. Yeah, the idea of making a film about him too and the idea that like he he basically and not about the bomb, but yeah. it's about him specifically. And then also within just not just American history but world history, he essentially be, he is transformed into a mythical figure. Like right. for all mm-hmm. time we will know this like individual in this project as being the genesis of world ending power what, that yeah. is going to dominate, you know? Yeah. And I think I, that the gravity yeah. of that is it's mythical. Yeah. It's the, it, in scale. It's mythic. I think it's important to, to tell the story of Oppenheimer because people know the story of the bomb. Like, yeah. And this he, is the thing that like, kind of get taught me. about the bomb. Right. We don't get taught about Oppenheimer, which mm-hmm. you have to search that. You gotta be a his- you gotta be like a history fan. If you want to find out like this stuff about Oppenheimer and all of that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I do think like he deserves his due because it is that people kind of get like, Oh, the atomic bomb happened and then world war two. Then we went into cold war with Russia for 40 mm-hmm. years. Like it kind of mm-hmm. gets like swept up, but, but you don't understand like, like the nuance between him and the American government. Right. After like, cause he 
try to separate himself. Yeah, and then from so a narrative quickly, and like it's an incredible narrative. Yeah, from the narrative perspective, it gives that struggle a character for us to to mm-hmm. basically use as the focal point for all of those historical events. Which I yeah. think is it plays into the mythology is we know the atomic bomb is it changed the course of human history. Mm-hmm. So it's like to have one person kind of be the focal point of this thing is incredible because mm-hmm. you're like as they're teetering on the edge yeah, of making that decision. To you're use essentially the technology like, or not. Yeah, you're, the, you're the, the one like, shot in the trailer of yeah. him adjusting his his hat i'm yeah. just like god i can't wait to kill you i also yeah. Yeah. wear the fuck out of that hat he's gonna wear he that loves hat those hats, man. i also think like killian murphy's owed his due on a, on a christopher nolan set like he's right. been yeah. a great team player mm-hmm. on all of his movies but like god why didn't he do this earlier and like, just in general killian like, murphy i feel like is murphy should have been the protagonist of one of his other movies right. like dead mm-hmm. center it, like i don't i don't know which one Put it would have been tennis. I, I would know. have seen. I would have taken him in Inception. Yeah, which is like there, I would have seen him as the uh, like the other uh, character, the, yeah, the Leo character. Yeah, yeah, I've I, seen that. I, I think he was think great like, in the role he was in, but he was overdue. And yeah. so this is this is what I want to see out of him. Yeah, it's gonna be. I'm I'm very very. I can't. I'm gonna be their opening night. Yeah, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we'll get a, we'll get which is funny to me because like I don't need a teaser. I know I'm gonna see this movie. Oh, yeah. So I kind of want to know. I get that they have to tease it to general audiences, but this is like the cult of Nolan is gonna be there. Is gonna show up in droves. I it's that despite whatever Tenet did for them. Yeah, that classic trailer thing. Like I I am afraid of seeing any more trailers for it because I just want the photography to blow my mind when I see it in theaters. Right. Yeah. Like, Even just the brief teases of some of those shots, yeah. I'm like, that was enough. It's the I first know, black and white exactly film to be filmed on, on IMAX. Pretty, interestingly, like on the hot on the heels of Tenet for a Nolan, Nolan usually spaces them out time. two mm-hmm. to three yeah. years. But I think some of that's just COVID really. Seems like this is something that he's been thinking about for a while. Though. I hope so. Yeah. No. I do think too. I will say this: my greatest observation on Nolan is uh, they should not let like they should edit him. Like yeah. he shouldn't be allowed <laughs> to rein him do in a what, little bit. He shouldn't be allowed to just play in his own imagination. He should be confined and like pressured by the guidelines of like somebody else's script mm-hmm. or uh, history. Like some of his best mm-hmm. works are other people's like kind of stories, but he's yeah. doing his thing with it. I mm-hmm. think that was a big turn. I know I said the Coen brothers earlier, but I think that was a big thing with them too. Whenever like a yeah. brother where art thou came out or like even Fargo, yeah. where it was like the material was already there and it was just them. Yeah adapting it i think that you're right like it's yeah for like like dunkirk was was it it functioned really really well and i think because he had that north star of like how do we honor history yeah but tenet Mm -hmm. is my perfect example of like you let that man do whatever he wants and i'm gonna be like (laughs) he didn't even name his characters yeah Yeah, it just gets a little convoluted (laughs) it's like you've got too many too many roles resting on his laurels he's like i don't have to do this they're gonna like think it's genius what you think characters need names fuck you (laughs) i am the protagonist like be less literal I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, people all those shoot me down all the time oh, for this. Fine. You got no, Robert that's a, Block that's a out there valid. naming people Arbogast. Arbogast. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Rodola's it's like, in my head. Uh, nope, not going to do it. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you know what would be really cool? If they didn't have a name. <laughs> They're super spies. So we just call them the yeah, protagonist. You know what name is better than Arbogast? The protagonist. Nothing. That actually kind of leads oh. me into my uh, – so we're going to talk about some movies or shows that we've seen recently. Uh I'll go first because I usually ask you guys, but yeah. uh, I watched The Gray Man on Netflix. Oh man, I want to watch that soon. I know that I probably shouldn't, but I still want to because I'm Ryan paying Gosling? for Netflix. Ryan Gosling well. and Chris Evans. Yeah, it's the Russo brothers and uh, the Russo brothers directing host. and writing. Which, like, it. If you just told me it was just Ryan and Chris, like if you didn't explain any more than that, I'd probably skip it. Yeah, well, Billy Bob Thornton, Anna De Armas. Okay, now I won't skip. It. You <laughs> See, know, like, I yeah. will say okay. But so I'm saying if you just my... premise it with right. like Chris and Ryan, I'm like, 
Yeah, my uh, my take on it. Spies. Netflix I, original, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think it's a it's not a. I think it's worth watching, but it took me I could, two sittings to get through it because it's surprisingly right. long. You know what? That's my mm-hmm. general thing on uh, Netflix. Like a lot of their action movies, I'm like, I'll do it in a couple. What was days. the last one yeah. with Ryan Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds Ryan was like something. the Red Notice. Similar yeah, I, recipe dude, where they were like, no, because yeah, I fell asleep during. You could do yeah. that in a couple sittings. Yeah, this I is will the say where they were like two hundred million dollars and Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans, and they were like, all right, yeah, let's let's make this movie. Right. And they're like, well, don't you want to know the script? And it's like, oh, we don't. Know. It doesn't what, matter. What's, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, you have two hundred million dollars and Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans and yeah. Alan Armas and Billy Bob Thornton. What could possibly yeah, we go don't wrong? Have to make and anything. the Rousseau brothers. Right. Yeah, well, you know, the executive Netflix was just like, yep, yeah, of course. Ne- uh, why? Mm. Of course, we're going to make this movie. Not to put like a huge damper on it. I read an article. Uh, yesterday or today um, that basically was like uh, I hate to ruin everyone's day but they're going to start making more of that stuff like yeah. they've already commissioned oh, a sure. spinoff but they're saying they're well that not... one sets up for a sequel okay but they're not interested yeah. in um, like uh, creator driven like passion projects like so we're probably way less likely to get another Irishman right <laughs> they were, they, mm. Netflix was Which... like we're under the gun we kind of need to make money and we can't keep commissioning like these gorgeous like yeah. creator passion projects that just don't go anywhere for us. I yeah. love the Irishman. I think it's amazing, but I also like that's a yeah, bummer. Which I mean, if we're gonna be honest, the people that genuinely care about those types of projects are not. That's not Netflix's no bread and they butter. need more red notices. Like, they we've need got, more gray men. They we've need got the, the other Adam streaming project. services. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like they. That's for my they're, dad. That's the niche that they're finding now is yeah. is just to to crank out these. Well, like, they're trying. Those movies are expensive, so if they don't yeah. get the kinds of views that they say they need, yeah, which is I'm funny because because they're the, struggling the, as it is. The article I read was like also Netflix's metric for how they count views is funny because at one point it they were saying been, if yeah. you watch two minutes of a movie, count it as a view. So they're yeah. like two two hundred million people watch this. We're like. So which, you're telling me 200 million people no, watch at least on, two minutes No, it of started this. auto-playing. When yeah, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, like, we're making microwave popcorn. Well, this yeah. is, this is a whole something. big issue. Like, even, like, which I think this conversation's been going on for a long time because it's, like, it's something that borders on, like, fraud, for instance. Like, when you're, right. like, imagine, you know, you're, you're it's Netflix. In, it's kind of investor fraud. You're misrepresenting yeah, yourself to your investors. Yeah, you're telling people, like, oh, this is the, the audience that we're we engaging to this degree by this metric or whatever. The same thing happens in the music streaming industry, too. Like, the way that Spotify and YouTube quantify plays mm-hmm. and things um but is it you can yeah. listen to 30 seconds of a song and they count mm-hmm. it as a play so the trick with this too and rhetorically it's kind of a cat it's it's a funny catch 22 is netflix is notorious for not sharing their stats yeah and so when they do share a number we don't have any way of knowing if There's it's no right or wrong. reference yeah so it's or if like it's better than or worse than their other releases right yeah so we're basically only going off of every stat netflix has ever given us so like mm-hmm. Every now they talk about the gray men, they're just comparing it with all the stats they gave us about Red Notice because mm-hmm. we're like eh, roughly same budget, same kind of vibes, like limp action movie. You could watch, you could not watch. What what do we say they did well or did not do well? Um, but my favorite review, I, I read a we great letterbox review. The writer for IndieWire, David Ehrlich, wrote he was like you can uh, you can feel your Netflix subscription 
cost rising as you watch this movie. <laughs> See, that's what I was thinking. Like, they're they're already complaining that people aren't paying them enough. So and it's sharing like, accounts, right? And they're going to start. Gonna they're trying to add put a ads trillion in. dollars on this stupid yeah. movie. Yeah, so it definitely like, feels like an expensive movie. When you so watch we're like, it. the action's really that. good. Honestly, the action in it is very good. But that's the thing about these movies is like, I Red Notice, The Adam Project is like what I'm finding as I watch more and more movies like this that have sort of tried to adapt the MCU model is right. that like I pick up my phone whenever the action starts because it's just I, it's I'm so I used to it what's now happen. that it's not like yeah it doesn't yeah. I don't know but the action right. sequences are good here's I just a, uh, here's a wreck if you want a, it's just a long movie Netflix action movie I actually really like The Old Guard with Charlize Theron um, the comic was really good I'll Greg Rucka is a great artist but yeah. um, the concept is really really cool it's kind of cliche like okay now they do some badass fighting but I actually got kind of invested in it nice yeah, Charlie's there, and I'll check it out. Absolutely. Yeah, and the the uh, the other characters involved are also. I'm, I'm trying to remember everyone, but it was I think Chiwetel Ejiofor is in it. I might be wrong, mm. um, and also might have said his name wrong. Sorry, but um, I've tried to memorize that when I found out. Like that's the most the coolest name ever. Um, but that's a good one I'd recommend. Like if you want something that's top tier Netflix action, I always go back to Old Guard because it, it kind of hits me. The only other show that I was going to talk about was uh, on HBO. Have you heard about this, The Last Movie Stars? I have not. Ethan Hawke. Yeah, Ethan Hawke directed it. And it's essentially like the idea is that Patrick Newman uh, and uh, Jane Woodward, uh, like they had recorded all these different interviews with various directors and filmmakers throughout their careers and stuff uh, and made tapes that were transcribed, but the tapes were burned and lost. And Mm -hmm. so Ethan Hawke hired a bunch of his actor friends to To basically do a dramatic reading. Yeah. To reread all these tapes. And it's like, I put it It on the background. It is. I put it on the background, kind of like not thinking I was going to pay attention to it the other day, whenever I was Mm -hmm. like working on this stuff or whatever. Uh, And I just got sucked in because I was like, dude, fucking Paul Newman and like narrated by George Clooney. Yeah. George Clooney plays Paul Newman and and Laura Linney. Yeah. Laura Linney plays his wife. And it's, a, it's, okay. it's adorable. Like, it really yeah. is. It kind of sucks you in, and you get a little bit of the background about their lives, and they go through it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, I don't know, it's a weird... I think it fits in with, like, the episode we just talked about, Psycho and Hitchcock, and I think we were immersed... I, I was immersed history. in this, yeah, mm-hmm. in this yeah. golden age of cinema history and stuff for a little while. And yeah. It just was very... It, it felt very timely whenever I watched it. It's mm-hmm. it's six episodes that are, like, an hour long each or something. And they're all up already, right? Yeah. They're yeah, you just release. blow through it. Yeah, it's, cool. it's really fun. I definitely like that a lot. Uh, do you guys see anything um, else besides the old guard or i finally got around to watching titan oh or, whoa uh, t- oh my god Titanium translate it's on hulu now oh, okay and i what do you think Ooh. i didn't like it interesting that i haven't seen it yet I so it's like very it fair i didn't see I it when know, i was at okay, Texas theater vincent linden crushes it yeah absolutely crushes right it. um was it okay? Know. Let me ask you: Was it the mm. first half or the second half that like really freaked you? Like you were kind of like, "Oh, I don't know, I'm good." Because there is halfway through the movie, there's a turning point. There becomes a, a different movie. Yeah, I think the second half. They're weird. It's I don't know. Two the metaphor gets the metaphor gets things. very convoluted. Yeah. Um, I see what they were going for with like you know you're tying the the trauma of the car wreck. Right. And then the trauma with her father. Right. But then Vincent Linden's character is a father with trauma and yeah. they have to come to terms with that. Yeah. Like uh, the, the premise record. is there. I just didn't feel 
I did not feel good after watching Titan, no. and and we can say this because I'm gonna give a lot like a two sentence description that you'll be like, holy shit! Either I have to see this movie or I never want to see this movie. It's like this woman. <laughs> How are you gonna describe this? This, this woman, <laughs> this woman gets, fucks a car. Fucks a car. <laughs> gets pregnant. Gets pregnant. And leaks then, oil all over the place. Yeah, and it leaks oil then, all over the place. Um, and then we have like, a lot of questions because she. The IMDb summary is: pre- Following a series of unexplained crimes, a father is reunited with the son who has been missing for ten years. See, that's what I said. There's like two movies. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. Notice, the first half is like bonkers how they banana murders. Wild. Yeah. There's, but Not, she's like she murders know. some people and then is on the run. It gets nuts. It, and then it gets yeah. It goes and then it just gets fucking weird. rails. Yeah. Um, but like I love it. I loved Raw for that reason. Like, I mean, it was just something I was like, I didn't think you could do these two like, things I at watched the same it, time. And I was yeah, Julia Dukanara. Mm-hmm. Um. But and I, I'm so glad you said Agatha that. Rousselle, that movie is she does great. Wild. Like, it's really well acted by the two leads. Um, it's just like such an interesting original idea to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, man, I don't think I would have ever seen this movie anywhere else. Oh, for sure. Yeah, um, that's another I Neon doubt, production. Yeah, yeah which mm-hmm. is why I watched yeah. it. Um, did I talk about Possessor last week? I don't think so. Ooh. That's Cronenberg Junior. Oh, yeah. that yeah. shit was tight. Hell yeah! yeah. Uh, and that's a Neon production as well yeah yeah, yeah. highly recommend that. I, possessor that one, by brandon cronenberg fucked me up yeah that, yeah uh, it just turns into a fucking fever dream towards the end dude it's like <laughs> what the fuck very cronenberg yeah, yeah. no it, it, he, he definitely is shit. like it's wild he's the heir apparent to his own father's legacy yeah yeah in no, a way it's you're like, like so clear like you could just I, yeah put put david Cronin, put Brandon, whoever, which one of them? Put the Cronenbergs together. Yeah. What if they did a father-son movie? They, they have, should. I think they would do David some justice because I feel like after yeah. Crimes of the Future, people are kind of like seeing his career as being like, it's like, oh, he he kind of did what he always did back in the day, but it's right. like there's nothing innovative about it. I mean, mm-hmm. you need transgressive artists to push the boundaries on things. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is like when you were a transgressive artist, though, right. and then now you're kind of people are like, oh, well, what you thought was transgressive back in the day is kind of now it's just sure. we've seen you, we've seen all your movies, so yeah. it's like mm-hmm. now we're just like it looks, it looks like a Cronenberg. You've been movie. watching some good ones, Tyler. That's good yeah, I've been on a kick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what I would say is, if you have to pick between the two, watch Possessor. Okay. It, that's I my, would say, that's yeah, my that's opinion. That's probably fair. If you or, want something a little you know, more straightforward, read, read a read a plot synopsis. Yeah, and decide for yourself. And you know that might draw. It will draw you in. If you're listening yeah. to this podcast, it will draw you in. Yeah, which is why it drew me in. Yeah, let's be honest. I, if you're there's to just us, talk I have some qualms about it. I'm not going to go down no, the whole fair. rabbit hole. But it was not my. It's not my favorite. It's a very work. divisive movie. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Which maybe I just need to digest it a little more. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else besides the old guard? Uh, on, in your camp, uh, camp? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, so Prey comes out next week, which is the oh. latest Predator movie. So oh, I have yeah. to recommend my favorite Predator movie <laughs> is Predators 2010. Really? Yes. Interesting. And everybody hates oh that God, movie. People are going to be really mad Everybody at hates us, that I think. movie. So How I is that you, such a bad movie? I'm like, guys, I, don't know, I think you're just Predator. straying from the from the earlier content i've seen i have officially people seen have like a, every single predator movie there is i've seen them all and i still think predators predator is my two, favorite ADP. Predators. but um basically like i saw a critic who wrote that like the best version of a predator movie is like a, like any other story insert predator 
He's like, basically, yeah. we just want to see. He just shows like, up. Yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, add <laughs> Which Predator. is pretty much what he always does. So, like, the best example is, like, Predator 2, gang war in L.A., add Predator. <laughs> Prey, uh, like, indigenous people, like, hunting, oh, colonialism, the one for add Predator. I'm, I'm yeah. thinking of yeah. the one that came out. Okay, And I love Predators because yeah. it is, like, devoid of all that stuff. Like, it is just deeply unhinged. Like, we're, we are, we're, we're the prey in a game, in a interplanetary gaming reserve when we are the greatest yeah. killers on the planet and we all have to like try and beat pre- the predator and it just goes fucking bonk have you ever mm. wanted to watch a samurai get into a sword fight with a predator yes because yeah, predators right. has it i haven't and seen that i one. never I'm forgot of, that i was thinking of like the 2018 one that just came up oh you're the, thinking uh, of the predator the predator yeah the shane black mm. yeah uh, new one which is i've seen that one too it's the lowest on the list for yeah me. Um, but like I wasn't into OG Predator, the first one with Schwarzenegger. Oh. I was like, eh, I get it. Um, I think the '80s action was lost on me at the time. Hmm. But Predators, and this is largely because of my childhood. I, it was one of those movies I snuck into and just like, as a 15, oh, so like 16 year old, too, you're yeah. like, oh my god, I didn't know you could do this on screen. <laughs> um, which might not be the most transgressive. Uh, Robert Rodriguez produced, so it's got his uh, name on it. This is my best part. The director's name is Nimrod Antal. His name is actually Nimrod. He just directed. I know. I can't stop giggling. He actually just directed a bunch of episodes of Stranger Things. Oh, hell yeah. The latest Hmm. season. I like I saw his name and I sat up in my chair. I was like, oh, my God, the guy from Predators. And Mary Kate's like, what? How do you know? It's like, because his name is Nimrod. Yeah, his name is Nimrod. <laughs> he is Nimrod. I don't. I think he's saying it wrong. Um, I keep wanting to read it as Namor, like the fucking. The so antagonist it's from. like taking yeah, Predators, uh, featuring just a murderous row of talent. Yeah, too. Adrian like, Brody. Adrian here. Brody fucking decided Lawrence to do a Fishburne, like wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely bonkers. This is crazy. Uh, yeah, Topher Grace is in there. That's fantastic. Which I won't give away because there's some really fun stuff with him. Topher okay. has like it. One of these things is not like the other. Okay. But uh, I did that, and nope. I would, like people probably we did an episode, but like I have to recommend it. Yeah, it's, it's been my like favorite movie of the summer. I don't know so if we could far. have recommended it harder in the episode we did. Over well, it. I'm gonna recommend it again <laughs> in case someone was like, "Oh, I haven't seen the movie yet. I won't listen to the episode. Go, go watch, watch that movie. Nope. Yeah, go watch it on IMAX. Yes, it's go fun. see yeah, it on so IMAX. I, I saw it. Me, Travis, and Blake saw it together mm-hmm. um, with Kyra and Blake's Blake's partner, partner, fiance, uh, partner? girlfriend. Okay. Um, I hope you didn't give away a surprise yeah. there. <laughs> no, I just I I knew it was partner. I didn't know what level nah, they would prefer to be described at. Um, they we saw it in like Dolby at Alamo. I want to go watch, again. Uh, I yeah. want to go again. I mean, and there's some there's some metaphors and symbolism that once you get to the end, you want to see scenes from earlier again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I will now say, I want to see him on IMAX. Yeah, we on, on, on a rewatch. Yeah. On, on, on a rewatch. I haven't listened to y'all's nuggets. episode about it yet. Yeah, it's so, we, we, get, we get into the weeds, and it's it's awesome. Um, that one by the end of the episode, I was like, all the things I wasn't sure about, I was like, oh no, he's a genius. It all makes sense. And we um, were all like, you guys want to go see Nope again? Yeah, like, <laughs> what do we do right yeah. now? And I've started like I immediately went home after, and I was like reading, yeah, yeah. other people's takes. Like that's yeah, that's how you know that. 
That's it, it was nuanced enough, but yeah. not like too lost. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Is, is that you're like seeking out other people's opinions? About I think it. it's going to have some stellar repeat business over the next. I think couple that's weeks. the conclusion yeah. we came to. Is that it, it? It is just. It is a very good. Like you got to see it twice to like really let it sink mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Almost. I will. Yeah, I will say on the second viewing, there I got to a lot more of the Easter eggs. Yeah. That I, like I wouldn't have known to you look start for to the first on. time. Was the monkey like, stuff scary for you the second time around? It was still jarring. Yeah, that yeah. stuff. That's just terrible. Yeah. Um, um, my last rec, uh, I they have the animated Harley Quinn TV show. Oh yeah, the new season's on out. HBO Max. They they just started the new season. That um, show is awesome. Yeah. So if, for anyone who's not uh, familiar, because I'm sure I say like animated Harley Quinn, and you're like, great. So it's a anime or like a weird cartoon show for boys, but um, it's actually this hilarious it's, it's comedy of, writing in that show is fucking yeah, amazing. Yeah, kind it's of not like this, this isn't Saturday morning cartoons. No, there's a but lot. But it's animated of, like a Saturday morning. Yeah, cartoon, someone once said it was it. like it's like R-rated community in a lot of ways. Yeah, and uh, with like Batman characters. Kaylee Kuko does the voice of Harley, and yep. I think that's. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Alan Tudyk is turning in some of the best vocal performance. He's playing yeah. like seven or eight characters. All the voice acting. He's playing is characters amazing. playing characters yeah. at some points. Like he's doing Clayface doing another character. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like his Clayface voice also doing like a tiny teenage girl voice. Yeah. I'm like, Alan Tudyk is three layers deep on his vocal Seriously. performances. Stay tuned for Alan Tudyk discussions at the finale of this season, by yeah, the way. Uh, the Bear cast and then also an Alan, Alan Tudyk cast. Yeah, there's going to be a whole thing. Um, the- but I highly recommend because it is a laugh. And it's hilarious. There's They, they kind of like make do a good job of like breaking the mold of like, oh, Harley Quinn is the joke. Like all these things we know about. Yeah. If you like making jokes about Batman, you should watch Harley I Quinn. I think that's, that's one of the best examples. That's of, what they do. And yeah. they like make so many like it's one of the best examples of like Warner Brothers letting people do whatever letting they want with the DC with contact. And content. it becomes interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's lots of jokes about like uh like supervillains have to go to grocery stores and yeah. stuff. So like Bane goes to the grocery store and his credit card gets declined. Yeah. <laughs> and he they do the whole bit. They stick to it. Is his stupid like his his Tom Hardy voice, but he's like I will raid down hell upon <laughs> this bank for flagging me. And it's also like the mundane banality of like the corporate politics of the yeah, villain. Yeah, like it's the, like the if super there villain. was a League of Dooms, it would yeah. be like super toxic and like boring. Office and, shit. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, great, great stuff to throw on. I love that show. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, it was like, I, it's, I'm a big fan. Hell yeah. So those awesome. are my recs. Good recs, guys. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Hey. Uh, there's an Instagram for Sunday Scaries. It's at Sunday at Scary Sunday Scaries. There's also yeah. a Patreon. Uh, if you go to Patreon.com/slash/ScarySundaysScaries, uh, uh, you can listen to episodes as soon as I get done editing them. Because um, Travis literally carries the team on his back. I don't. Yeah, how is that back? No, it's it hurts his a back lot hurts from today. baseball practice this morning. It's, it's not fucking baseball. terrible. It's from the team. <laughs> In the order of people important on this podcast, it goes Tyler because he's a medical professional. There you go. Your 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 profession is noble, whether you agree with me or not <laughs> okay and then travis who literally does all the work and then me who drinks beer and talks that's all I can, that's that's the most important thing I just yeah like, i, I just like parasite yeah that's what yeah you're both you're both very important to me so i brought beer this time oh, i love yeah. you guys i love you too man hey you want to kiss yeah <laughs> they're making uh, out right now oh my god oh my god uh, what is happening <laughs> go follow us on instagram go to our patreon listen to our new episodes hey that's where you're gonna find the fucking bear cast and if we ever yeah. talk about stranger things or anything else that is not a main episode it'll yeah, be up we'll there some too little side shoots yeah, absolutely yeah we're gonna a little too far ahead so we're gonna have to fill the time with something so um if you want to follow me i'm at trap the guy on instagram i'm at time out so it's t-y-m-a-n-t-z i'm at dg underscore pappas 
And we're going to be back next week with a episode on uh, not a classic Hitchcockian film, but one that is very closely related to them. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you know what movie this is? I get it now. I okay. keyed you up the right way this time. It's Disturbia. There, there you we go. go. I had to like think really hard not to sing the song out loud. Mm. Uh, the 2007 Disturbia featuring Shia LaBeouf, yes, uh, the Booth himself. LaBeouf. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to get into it. It's fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Come back next week. Listen to us uh, do that episode. It's going to be great. Uh, don't let the Sunday scaries bother you guys too much. It's going to be a, it's gonna be a great week, guys. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Everything's going to be okay. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. Awesome. Bye. Bye. Sunday Scaries.